Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I just put out episode 67 this week. Jesse was on episode number five, so ages ago, and he was so supportive and encouraging about the podcast, and he's, you know, he's become a good friend of mine, I'm happy to say, in the last sort of year and a half. And so when I decided to start doing these live podcast events, he was top of my wish list of people that I wanted to do this with. And when I shot him the idea, he was like, fuck yeah, without hesitation, I'm in. Um, So we're both very excited to be here. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before we get the show underway. So the show itself is going to be an interview with me and Jesse for about 90 minutes where we'll go in deep on the music, his life, you know, traveling, touring, mental health, all the stuff that touched base in the podcast that people connected with. We'll explore that in more detail tonight. And then the second half of the show is going to be over to you guys. That's the audience Q&A, where basically you can ask him anything. I'm told that nothing is off limits. So tonight is the night that you get to find out whatever you've wanted to know about Jesse Leach. And then at 10, we'll wrap up the show. There's a merch table right at the back of the room. We're going to get Jesse positioned there. And then what we'll do, if it's okay with all of you, is form a queue along that wall there, round here, round the front, and round there. And basically everybody who's here can have a picture with Jesse, get stuff signed, and just say hello and, you know, thanks for the music, etc. We've got some signed posters for sale for a tenner. We've only done 50, so a nice limited run. Um, so if you want to get them there, there, and also because we're old school, we're going to be doing Polaroid pictures. So feel free to have your smartphone snap with Jesse at the end of the night. But if you want a little souvenir and we've got plenty of film, so we'll do a Polaroid for a fiver signed by Jesse as well. 
Um, I guess that's it. I think that's it. Oh, yeah, there's just one rule. Um, the one rule that I ask is because I want you to be all immersed and present in the moment, and you're going to get a picture of Jesse anyway. I just ask that you don't take pictures or videos of the show. Leave your phone in your pocket. We've actually got a photographer here somewhere, Stu, over there. So Stu's going to take loads, and he's going to give them all to me, and I'm going to put them on my Facebook page, which is Matt Stocks DJ, a full gallery, and then you can obviously download those and share away, but just make sure you credit the main man. Um, so yeah, phones in pockets and enjoy the moment. Are you ready? Are you stoked? Yeah. It's going to be good. It is my great pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome onto the stage my dear friend, Mr. Jesse Leach. Give it up. I wouldn't do that. How you guys doing? Nice to have a day off. <laughs> this is the... Give it up for this guy, though, honestly, man. He's the reason why I'm here. Cheers, sir. Yeah. This is only the second one of these things Jesse has ever done, so you're privileged to be here tonight, even if I do say so myself. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Iron Maiden, first of all, Jesse. A few of the people in the room were at the show last night. I was saying to you last night after the gig, I'm not a massive Iron Maiden fan. I wouldn't consider myself an Iron Maiden hardcore fanatic. I never really listened to them at home. But last night, that show, I think, was the most entertaining, fun experience I've ever had at a concert. Put us in the picture of what it's like being on the road with Iron fucking Maiden. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I have to agree with that. Like, Even if you don't know who Iron Maiden is, to see their live show is insane. It's like... Uh a mixture of a Broadway musical meets one of the most entertaining metal shows you'll see. And I think you even said, which I love this, a little bit of Monty Python thrown in there because it can get a little camp, but they're the originators of camp, so it, you kind of have to just tip your hat to them. They keep everybody entertained. Life on the Road with Maiden is what you would expect it is. It's nuts. I mean, if you would have told me as a, a 11-year-old boy that I'd be uh, shaking hands and hanging out with uh, members of Iron Maiden, I would have told you to fuck right off. Like, that would never happen, you know? Never happen in a million years. But uh, day one of tour, Bruce walks into our dressing room. Nicest, and I didn't even know it was him. Yeah, tell the full story you told me, because yeah. this is great. So, I'm in, I'm a, I have a, a video game addiction when I'm on the road. I play a lot yeah, of... Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, I'm a video game nerd. Uh, especially that new Zelda game, it's insane. Yeah, right? I know. <laughs> Addiction, right? So I'm in my dressing room, just kind of, you know, cooling out before the set. I look up, I see an old man. He's got a baseball cap on, safari shorts, boots, sloppy-looking guy. And I'm like, oh, it must be one of the techs. Whatever, no big deal. So I look up, I look back down, and I see out of the, the corner of my eye, everybody in the room is coming, like, sitting up and, like, leaning towards this guy, body language, right? And I'm like, oh, he's somebody. I look back up, and I'm like, oh, it's fucking Bruce Dickinson, just... Literally, like, on the, on the door, like, hey, lads, what's going on, lads? Um, brings in champagne, two bottles of champagne and a case of Trooper beer. And is like, welcome to the tour. Shook each of our hands, looks us all in the eye. And from that moment on, all of us turned around and were like, holy shit. That just fucking happened. So we play the show. After the show, who shows up? Bruce, dressed as a fucking pirate or something, I don't know, with a cape and a saber sword, leaning on the sword. How was it, lads? We're like, good, good, good. Adam says, you look fucking sexy. He's like, no, you can't, mate. 
And that was show one, and we turned around, opened the bottles of champagne, and drank and poured it all over each other, and we're like, we're on tour with Iron Fucking Maiden. The, they employ about 110 people that have been with them, some of them for 30 years. So these people are family, and they treat you like that. They remember your name. They look at your face and say good morning every, every, every morning. I've never been treated like that in my entire life. Class. Iron Maiden are like class band. So Round yeah. of applause for Iron Maiden, hell. I think. Up the irons. How did, you, how did you react when you got the call? And how did you find out the news? Because that oh. would have been a freak-out moment for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the first person I told was my wife, obviously. And she punched me. We were out to dinner with my, my uh, parents, and she's just fucking wailing on my arm, screaming, and they're like, what, what, what? So the staff found out. We had to keep it hush. We couldn't say a word for, like, six months. So the staff found out through a friend who was the manager at the restaurant we're at, and we all did shots. Um, but then um, I looked at my dad. Now, for those who don't know, which many people probably don't know, my dad... Growing up, he was a Christian minister, and he was the kind of guy in the 1980s that thought metal was satanic across the board. Burn it all. It's devil's music, so I was never allowed to listen to it until we started smuggling cassette tapes in from private school, my brother and I, when we were little guys. So the first tape that got smuggled through was Number of the Beast, and my brother had it in his uh, room. And, of course, you know the cover, The Devil with the Marionette. It looks very satanic. We all know Maiden are a bunch of history dorks. They're not satanic even in the least bit. But um, my father found that tape, and I have never seen that man get so angry. Literally smashes the tape in front of my brother and I. It's like, no devil's music in my house. So I lean over at the table. Mind you, this is, um, you know, years, years later, I lean over at my pops. I go, so guess who I'm touring with, Dad? <laughs> guess who's going to help pay some of your bills soon, Dad? It was brilliant. It was a great moment of redemption. Like, fuck you, dad. Did you invite your parents to any of the shows? No, I mean, they, no? Would, they wouldn't travel over here. They're, they're getting to that age where they don't travel much. But my dad is not like that anymore. Thank God he's let, loosened way the fuck up. He wears kill switch hoodies, and he's, he's all about uh, drinking whiskey and swearing like a sailor with me behind closed doors. So he's lightened up a lot. So it's been good. No, but I, if we were in the States, they definitely would have come out. They're very supportive. They've been to a bunch of my shows. My mom actually... Uh, We'll stand near the edge of the pit. She did it once near a bar. She was up on top of the bar at the edge of the pit, just like hanging out. And she's not that way at all, but she was so proud of her son. So it's cool. Yeah. Obviously, everybody who was at the Iron Maiden show last night will attest to the fact that your voice is probably as strong as it's ever sounding. But there was, right? <laughs> but there was a moment there when there was obviously a real scare. And I wonder if we could go into the the throat injury or malfunction, whatever we could call it, and then yeah. also the, the surgery and the recovery process. What happened and, and how did you get through it? And what have you learned through the process of everything you've been through over the last few months? Yeah, so anyone who's a singer, any singers here? Okay. We're going to test that out later. Okay, so check it out. <laughs> <laughs> My whole life, uh, I've been doing this for almost 24 years. Started out as a punk, still a punk, but singing a metal band now where all I did was yell, and then at some point I was like, hey, I want to try this singing thing out. And to be quite honest, I've never been very good at it because uh, I'd never had proper training. Some people just have... It's true, it's true. Go, go on YouTube and watch me live. I'm like... Ah, ah, ah. Um, so I've been doing it improperly for 20-something years, you know? Um, in the studio, it's one thing because you're calm, you're relaxed, 
you put somebody in a live uh, situation and, you know, adrenaline's going, you get caught in mouth, all these things come into play, your voice is going to do different things. And if you don't have that training, that muscle memory that good vocalists have done, usually the legwork prior to touring a bunch, I didn't have that. Dude, give me one second. I'm just going to shut this door behind us because it's distracting me. Oh, I like that. Sorry. Yeah, details, man, details. I like that. Continue, sir. So, um, long story short, I rejoined Killswitch attempting to do my best job at songs I didn't write and sing Howard Jones's bellowing, beautiful voice. And I was just having a really hard time to the point where I'd come off stage, everyone would be celebrating or... Adam Dean never celebrates after a show. He goes immediately into criticizing everybody, by the way. Not fun. <laughs> Not fun. Anyway, I'm in the bathroom spitting blood into the sink, thinking to myself, am I going to fucking die? Do I have cancer? Like, what is wrong with me? And this started to eat away at me literally over time to the point where uh, I finally went to see a doctor because I was doing vocals for this recent record. And I went to sing a note that I can hit easy on the studio. And Adam's like, you're not hitting that note at all. You're not even close. You sound off. Like, it's weird. Tell me how you real, really feel, Adam. Yeah, right. I know. Fuck that guy. <laughs> he, is, he is one of my best friends. Like, he's my brother. But as a producer, fuck that guy. <laughs> he makes me sing parts like 30 times. And then I'll go back and go like, I think I like the first take. I'm like, God damn it. So, yeah, um, so we decided to stop, which was, interestingly, sidetrack. Um, I was on the f phone texting with Howard Jones because me and him are, like, really good friends now, which is another story we'll have to get into. We'll get there. And he's like, hey, so what's going on? I was like, look, man, my voice blew out. I wrote this really great song. We talked about when we met in Canada, you should fly in. So he actually flew in and did the song uh, that we will be on the next record. Uh, when I couldn't even sing. So he came in and sort of saved my studio time, and uh, hats off to Howard for that. The song is fucking incredible. So uh, I get home back to New York. I go to see my regular doctor, and he's like, um, he looks me dead in the face and says, stop talking. I'm going to put you on a high dose of prednisone. For those who don't know, it's steroids for the for the muscles, and it makes you sweat. You can't sleep at night. You have panic attacks, anxiety, which is terrible for me. Uh, so I couldn't speak for a good week, went back in for the follow-up, and I've never seen my doctor make this face. He just went white as a ghost and just looked at me and goes, this isn't good. And I was like, oh, geez, what? He goes, they haven't moved. Your nodules are still there. Normally, in my situation in the past, I've gotten nodules. I'll take the steroids. I'm quiet. They go away. These weren't going away, and they were um, calloused, which means they've been there for years. So he sends me to another guy. The other guy looks at me and goes, this is not good. And this guy's the guy who did Adele's vocal surgery. So this guy's like top three in the nation for what he does. And, you know, I'm just looking for an ounce of hope. And he's like, cancel the tour. And I'm like, oh, my God, the next tour is Maiden. Maiden's coming up. Maiden, Maiden, Maiden. Oh, my God. He looks me dead in the eye and goes, I can't promise you anything, but I think we're going to get you to Maiden. I think it's going to be okay. So I got cut. I walked into my own surgery. How many of you guys have ever had surgery, like major surgery or, okay. Usually they wheel you in in a wheelchair. I walk, I was like, no, 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 I want to walk in there. I walk in and there's like, you know, 10 people and they all turn around with white gloves and masks like a fucking nightmare. And I'm like, this is my fate. I got to fucking do this. So I started making jokes 
and talking about music and making the staff laugh. And before I knew it, I'm out. I wake up. I can't speak. It feels really strange. My mother and my wife take me home, and I'm like, all right, five days. We'll see what happens. Within five days, I spoke my first word. And then fast forward to opening night of Iron Maiden, 11,000 people in Tallinn, Estonia. I finished the set. I was doing vibrato. I was doing things my voice has never done before. Adam looks at me and goes, sounding good? <laughs> I cried. <laughs> I did. And I drank a lot that night, even though I probably shouldn't have. But uh, I celebrated. And uh, six weeks of Maiden, no blood. We're going on two weeks of this tour almost. No blood, feeling great, feeling better than ever. And I can actually hit notes now. It's great. It's fucking awesome. Round of applause, I think, for... Jesse Leach, Mark II, new and improved. Thank you, Modern Science, for my career. And Melissa Cross, who trains, yeah, she's, I can't thank her enough. She's a genius. Um, she not only taught me how to sing better, place my screaming, for those who are students, my false chord screaming. I don't do the, um, uh, the fry. I don't do that. I'm old school, like Phil from Pantera, destroy the voice screams. But now it, it's in a different area. They call it above the pencil. It comes from like the eyes where I can do it longer. It doesn't hurt. And uh, I actually speak different because of her too. My speech, it's that deep. Like if you're a singer, learn how to speak properly first. It'll blow your mind. So Melissa Cross, all hails to her. What did you learn through the process of not talking on just on a personal level, aside from, you know, music and performing live? What does silence teach you? What did you learn from that? Humans talk too much. It's true. I learned a lot to listen, which I'm married for 18 years, so I know how to listen because, trust me, the amount of times my wife is saying, you're not listening to me, it's finally set in. But this was like, I felt like a monk almost, you know, like you're in a public setting. And then there was a time where I didn't go out at all because I was like, I'm just going to stay home. It's easier to stay quiet if you're not around people, but it starts to get to your head. So I'd go out with my wife and her friends and sit around and listen to people talk, and you start to realize People either talk about like things, dreams, goals, music, just great stuff, or they talk about other people. And uh, there are certain people where I'm like, I see you. I never noticed how much you talk shit about people. And those people, I'm like, I don't know if I want to be hanging around you too much. So you learn a lot about humanity and a lot about yourself. So I actually speak a lot less. Um, I have moments where I'll be talking at a party or whatever, and I stop. I'm like, ah, there's no need for me to fucking talk about somebody or whatever. So it's really helped me reevaluate the gift that we all have to be able to speak, you know, and how some of us just waste it talking shit about people. And that's counterproductive to this beautiful gift that we have, you know. There's the great phrase, isn't there, that average minds talk about people, more cultivated minds talk about events, and then true, like, great minds talk about ideas. Yeah. And that's the it's kind of grading, I think. So more, more ideas, right? Yeah. Less shit talking. Um, one thing I've realized we've never spoken about, Jesse, at least not on record, is your childhood and your upbringing. So do, 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 do. Can you come with me now on a journey way into the past? I want to know where you grew up. I want to know about your family. Uh, you've got one brother, right? One brother. One brother, one sister. I know. Oh, you've got a sister as well? Yeah. Okay, so sister. tell us about the, you know, a the surprise, early years. A surprise sister <laughs> who is 50 years younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, born in Florida in a trailer park, uh, I'm not joking at all, my parents were the managers of a fucking trailer park in Florida, 
So yeah, pure pure white trash. Um, moved to Missouri for a while. Survived a tornado. Apparently, I don't remember that. Um, and then from there, we moved to Rhode Island, which is the Luxembourg of the United States. Little teeny small place, filled with a ton of very interesting characters and a very dangerous organized crime syndicate that nobody talks about that my family was quite involved with, which I wouldn't mind divulging that as well. But uh, that's further on in my life. Uh, then we moved. My first real memories are living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the 1980s. So 1982, my first memory is saying, I hate Philadelphia. We were pulling up and we had a moving truck and a Volkswagen bug. And I remember screaming at the top of my lungs, I hate Philadelphia. That's my first memory. Um, and then uh, music caught me very close after that. That's when breakdancing and uh, Houdini and Run DMC and the Beastie Boys were on the charts and like that shit was going. So my first love was breakdancing, b-boying and hip-hop. And it still is to this day. I love graffiti writing. I love hip-hop. It is my first love over anything metal or rock. So uh, there's something most people don't know about me. I'm a huge hip-hop fan. Old did, school shit. Did you ever have your own b-boy crew? Could I, you break dance? I, I, I kind of. Keep in mind, um, at this stage in my life, I'm five. But um, I managed to uh, cut the sleeves off my denim jacket that my parents got me. I wore my mom's bandana, which was like one of those aerobic exercise ones, which if you look it up on the internet, they're not masculine at all. I stole it from my mother and I would go down to the corner store where the kids would have the, the ghetto blasters, the big radios, and they call me Little Man. I used to go in and buy my bubble gum and stand there and b-boy stance and watch the guys breakdance. And that was my first love affair was with breakdancing and, and run DMC and hip hop. Did you have a lot of friends? Because I imagine Philadelphia, particularly at that point, was nope. quite quite a, a black community, right? So were you in the minority? Were you like oh, the, yeah. the outcast white kid? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. And in, in fact, all right, here's a great – all right, now we're going in. Here's a great story. I did have some good friends, but um, during that time, and rightly so for many reasons, there was a radical movement going on in, in Philadelphia. It was a radical chapter of the Black Panthers who were trying to, like, keep the neighborhood safe – keep them, you know, um, clean, if you will. And uh, there was some radicals that didn't think we were very clean because we were white people. So we had a next-door neighbor named Moses. Mind you, my dad's in Bible college studying to be a minister. Next-door neighbor named Moses, who's a pimp. <laughs> Carried around a sawed-off shotgun underneath his trench coat, and he had love for the pastor, the minister. He's called the minister on the block. They knew with only white family, and he's like, I'm going to protect the minister. So he would escort us. I didn't know this at the time, obviously. I'm five years old. I found out later. He protected my family and would escort us to and from the train. And once word got out that Moses had my family's back, we were totally left alone. My father started to do repair work for the community, fixing people's houses up, doing odd jobs around just to show love, God's love. And we started becoming an acceptable thing in this neighborhood. And, uh, yeah, that's that's when I fell in love with... um, Richard Pryor, I started to hear Richard Pryor from my next door neighbors. Round of applause for Richard right, Pryor. Right. The greatest stand up of all time. And then shortly thereafter, Eddie Murphy, which I was not allowed to listen to Eddie Murphy, but goddamn, the first time I heard Eddie Murphy, I was losing my mind. So those are the early seeds planted in my childhood that still affect me to this day. And uh, I went back to my neighborhood recently and 
the um, the mother who the mother of Moses who who his name was Mary. It's so funny. It's all <laughs> she's still alive. Moses got shot down in the street, unfortunately. Um, but uh, Mary's still around, and she gave me a big hug and showed me around the neighborhood. They have community gardens now. There's a house my dad's fixed up that's still there. Like it's just it all changed from that point on, and obviously got gentrified and. You know, things are a lot more expensive there, but uh, she remembered me, and I uh, got to have a tour of my old neighborhood. But yeah, that's where I come from. Germantown, Philly was kind of where I first found who I was and my love for music and arts and culture, and it's firmly rooted in African-American uh, culture, and that's why I fucking stand in solidarity with anyone of color, especially in our country right now with what's going on. It breaks my fucking heart. Fuck that racism shit. <laughs> When did punk rock, hardcore, and metal enter the fold? And were they all at once, or were they all, like, individually? So Maiden and Anthrax. Yeah, my brother also brought home Anthrax. It was the I Am The Man single, which is their rap song, which is hysterical. If you listen to it now, it's so funny. Uh, But I memorized every word of that. Um, And then from Anthrax and Maiden came Public Enemy. Because Scott used to always wear the Public Enemy shirts. So that was kind of all my world as a young kid. And then Def Leppard Hysteria came out. <laughs> and that was it. Dude, I love that record so much. Um, so yeah, Def Leppard Hysteria was probably my favorite thing in fifth grade. I had a little mini mullet. I had my high top Reeboks, white, no, no scuff marks on them. You know, tie-dye jeans and uh, Def Leppard in my, my Walkman, my big fuzzy headphones. So that's kind of where it all started. But the heavier shit came with Metallica. So Metallica put out one, and I remember being over at my brother's friend's house, and the video for one came on, and standing in front of that television with my jaw on the floor when they started doing the, the chuggies. I didn't know what the fuck they were. But that heavy noise, you know what I mean? I didn't really know. And uh, anthra- uh, Metallica used to wear Misfits t-shirts. Cliff and James wore the Misfits t-shirts. So I'm like, who's... Who's Misfits? What's the Misfits? So from that was Misfits and then Iron, um, Minor Threat. And Minor Threat came along when I was 14 years old. And I would say I blame everything on Minor Threat. When I first heard Minor Threat, I was like, I want to do that. What that guy is doing, I want to do it. So I used to practice in my bedroom screaming at a wall, which is a Minor Threat song, actually screaming at the wall, pretending it was an audience. You took the title literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And from that point on, started a band, and I mean, it's a lot more detailed than I'm giving the abridged version, but I blame Minor Threat for making me pick up a microphone. Still my favorite band of all time, besides The Clash, hands down. There's a great story that involves the city we're in, Birmingham, um, and it was your <laughs> the moment you were exposed to reggae and ska, right? It was a one night out in this city we're now in. Tell us about that night and what went, what went on. Yeah, and- I mean, I was already in love with reggae, because once I got into The Clash and The Bad Brains, they kept pointing and obviously incorporated reggae music into their sound. So I had already fallen in love with Bob Marley, you know, went from being a straight edge kid to being a total stoner and smoking weed on a fucking regular basis and listening to reggae music. So from that, it spiraled into a love for all things Jamaican. (laughs) I wanted to be a Rastafarian when I was younger. I tried growing dreads, all that stuff. And it just didn't work for me. I just knew it wasn't the look I should be going for, but (laughs) I'm very much still that kid deep inside. After tonight, you need to post some <laughs> photos on your Instagram page of the mullet and the dreads. Yeah. We need to see that, don't we? 
No, you don't. Um, so yeah, so I had always loved punk. I've always loved reggae. I always loved hip hop. Just a very varied um, taste in music. And the ska came with Operation Ivy, which is one of the bands was on the playlist, which is uh, the band before Rancid, if you're not aware. Operation Ivy was the roots of that band Rancid. So fucking good. Um, so we were playing here, what, five, six years ago? And uh, the Custard Factory, which is not far from here, which if you guys don't know, is run by like mods and skins and punk rockers. That They own that city block. And they throw parties and shows there. You're very lucky. There's a place called the Night Owl that has soul nights and ska nights and reggae nights. And I am so jealous of you people for living here because it's some of the best dance music you'll ever see. And I know metalheads are like, fuck, I don't give a shit. But trust me, it's fun. Take your lady out, get dressed up and go dancing. There's nothing like it. It's so much fun. So they were throwing a soul party, Northern Soul Party. And uh, our production manager, stage manager, Joshi, which if you've been to our shows, he's the guy checking the guitar, yelling into the microphone. He looks like a, he's stepped out of 1960s. He looks like a, a, a younger version of Lemmy from Motorhead. That's Joshy. He looks like Steve Coogan in the show Saxondale. That's yeah. what That's <laughs> or the dude from uh, Mighty Boosh. <laughs> What's that guy's <laughs> Noel from Mighty Boosh. So he's like, hey, hey, there's a, there's a soul, Northern Soul Party skinhead thing going on tonight. You should come. We should all go. So we went down to the local shop, and I bought my first Fred Perry. I'm like, I'm going to dress nice tonight. And we went, and um, the, top, the bottom floor was skinhead reggae, which for those who are unaware, hopefully as Birmingham people you know, the term skinhead is not a racist term. It initially started out as people who are working class that fell in love with reggae music from Jamaica. So the term skinhead, traditional skinhead, is actually a term of endearment for reggae music. It had nothing to do with racism. Um, so write that down if you didn't know it and look it up. Trust me, there's plenty of great documentaries on it. Uh, I consider myself to be part skinhead for sure. It's definitely a huge part of who I am. So they embraced reggae music. So I knew that there was this party going on hosted by skinheads. And uh, they were playing some of the best reggae music I've ever heard in my life. And there's kids from 18 all the way through adults who are in their 60s just dressed up real nice, dancing, you know, doing the skank thing. And, you know, the doors open. It was like time slowed down. And I looked in and I was like, holy shit. This is like punk rock people that love reggae. And I was like, ding, like the light bulb went off. I'm like, maybe I'm like kind of skinhead. This is fucking amazing. So, um, and on top was the Northern Soul. So Northern Soul, I'm speaking of the choir. You guys are from England. You should know this. But uh, pork pie hats, beehives, like people dressed in the nines in suits, playing great soul music. And it was two floors of this. Uh, I drank more Guinness than I ever have in my entire fucking life that night. And I danced till they kicked us out at like five. <laughs> I called my wife, who's a beautiful dark-skinned Dominican woman from the South Bronx, who's very sassy and uh, doesn't take my shit. Was, why the fuck are you still up at five? You're slurring. What the fuck? You're supposed to be in your bus. Like, you're just, like, giving me the fucking business. And I'm like, I found my people. <laughs> I'm going to go dancing to skinhead music all the time. And from that point on, my wife get dressed up to the nines. We go dancing all the time to ska and, and reggae music. And, and I fucking love it. And I highly recommend it for grumpy metalheads to go out and do that shit. It's so good for your soul. <laughs> 
And after the show tonight, Jesse's going to be doing the DJ set of Subside and Digbeth, so you're all cordially invited. Come down after the show. Fuck work tomorrow. Come I know it's Wednesday, but it's open till 6 a.m. And I'm playing mostly Ooh. punk, but I've got a few heavy metal things up in my back pocket, but it's party music. Come and party. Don't expect a headbang. Come and party with me, please. We've got five songs we're going to talk about. Jesse's handpicked five songs. There's three Killswitch songs. There's a song by his new project, The Weapon, and there's a Times of Grace track. So we're going to go through, peppered throughout tonight's talk and discuss uh, as we go. So the first song I want to talk to you about, Jesse, is Hate by Design, which is off the most recent record. Seems to be a popular choice in the crowd. Tell us about the, you know, the lyrics and the meaning of this song. So it's a dual meaning. Um... The surface meaning is very obvious, especially in the times we're in now with what's going on in both of our countries. Um, it's basically trying to say to people, like, wake up. You know, like, we're being divided by hate, and it's actually designed. There are people who are there, and, and like, call me a nut, but if you do your research, um, there are people who are literally sitting there trying to figure out how to keep us divided because we're easier controlled. You know, you talk about left and right, Republican, Democrat, all that nonsense. It's just white noise to divide us. And the way that I see that is if we're divided, we can't rise up. We can't, like, be the people and fight back against the few people who are pulling the fucking strings. So to me, it was like, I got to, like, if there's anything I can do as a writer with the gift that I have and the privilege that I have to stand on stage, the least I can do is talk to people about like, hey, the basic thing of racism is fucking bullshit. The fact that we still harp on race, the color of somebody's skin, is such fucking bullshit. But it's something that really needs to be addressed because there's a lot of ignorance on that topic and a lot of bickering online. And to me, it's like, how the fuck can people not see that we should have equal rights? And, and then on top of that, the secret meaning is being raised in a religious family where they talk about, you know, God is love. And then all of a sudden on the side of their mouth, but you're going to go to hell if you're gay. So wait a second. Wait a second. If God is love and you're telling two people that love each other that that love is wrong, where the fuck did that come from? People say it's the scriptures. Trust me, I've studied the scriptures. There's a guy named King James who came in years ago and took the scriptures and messed them all up. You know what he was? A politician. He changed those words. Trust me on this. Do your research. So my thing is it's also anti-organized religion because I think there's a lot of hate that gets fed in through organized religion. That's bullshit. If God is actually love, then love. And stop judging and stop telling other people what to do with that love. So that, in a nutshell, is hate by design. Equal rights, love for everybody, and stop fucking judging and being a racist piece of shit. I think we're all on the same page there, right? So, Jesse, um, when you left Killswitch Engage, what happened? Why did you leave? Talk us through you know, the headspace you were in at that time, the reason why you had to make that choice. And the, you know, the repercussions and everything that was going on, that storm that you were in at that time. Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, it's the best thing that ever happened to me, honestly, um, on a professional level, because all the work was done by Howard Jones. Thank you, Howard. No. Uh... <laughs> I literally just thought he was there then. I don't know why. 
Did I book him too? Oh, he'll be in London. You might see his face. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, I love that guy. I fucking love Howard. His new band is incredible. They're going to be pop stars. If you haven't heard his new band, Light the Torch, they're going to be up on the charts soon. The, God, it's a brilliant record. Anyway, um, where was I? I'm just all I can see you is left, Howard's face. You left the band. <laughs> Howard Jones. Um, <laughs> that's how he talks. I love that motherfucker. Um, yeah, so I left the band. I think, honestly, if I were to be completely honest with you guys, um, I was chicken shit. I was depressed. Um, I was very nervous. I didn't have a lot of confidence as a singer. I didn't have a lot of confidence as a human being. Um, I still suffer from social anxiety, but uh, I've gotten therapy and a lot of other things to get me to where I can do this and not sweat bullets right now. But uh, He's doing a good job, right? I'm not sweaty. I know. Who knew? I'd also like to thank microdosing for that. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, look it up. Changed my goddamn life. Yeah, mushrooms, yes. Yes. Look it up. Trust. He's not lying. No, I'm not lying. Um, so anyway, was depressed. I didn't have the wherewithal to ask for someone to help me. The only thing I knew how to do was hide. So I would do that. We were in a van and trailer. My seat was way in the back. I would roll up in a ball. This is not a joke. I'd roll up in a ball before the set and fucking have a panic attack, go on stage, do the best I could to look at people and perform, come back, crawl back in a ball, and wait for the guys to be done drinking and having fun and before the bus started moving again. I'd pee in bottles so I didn't have to go to the bathroom and just store them underneath the seats. So when the van started, fucking piss bottles everywhere. People were like, what the fuck? But I literally just couldn't cope with people. I had this disorder that I didn't know what it was. And it got to the point where I was ready to fucking take myself out. And that was the last show in Seattle on that tour where I called my brother and I said, get me the fuck out of here before the show. So imagine you're a band. You just put out a record. You're on your first big tour. The last date of it in Seattle, sold out show, opening for, um, I don't remember who they were, some death metal band that treated us like total shit. And drove in limos and shit every night. And where are they now, those fuckers? Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> So my brother came and picked me up and, uh, yeah, helped me not kill myself. And I flew home and worked, like, three different jobs and tried to rediscover who I was. I wrote the band in the email. I was just so chicken shit I couldn't look at them in the face and tell them, I can't do this anymore. So I wrote them an email and said, don't try to find me. I'm off the grid. I'm done. I'm done with music. And I was determined to just be done with all. So I, um, I got a job at this uh, bakery organic bakery in Jamestown, Rhode Island. It's still there. It's a great bakery. And I hid out on this island and worked the graveyard shift uh, at an um, antique window refurbishing company in Rhode Island and worked three jobs around the clock, didn't sleep much, and uh, finally had a total mental breakdown. And uh, I wrote a song about it. It's called Lay My Burden Down. It was from a, one of my bands, Seamless, in like mm, 2003, I think that album came out. Um, yeah, and then music just saved my life again. I found a reason to keep going through that band, Seamless, which lasted maybe five or six years and toured with random fucking bands. But Seamless was the reason I fell back in love with music and touring again. And uh, yeah, uh, I watched Killswitch skyrocket at that point because I was ignoring all of metal. I didn't want anything to do with it. And I was like, blues music is where I'm at, which I'm really glad I did. 
because it taught me a lot about singing and scales and all that stuff. But I remember watching, they invited me out um, after I'd gotten a little better. I'd say this is maybe 2009. I went to go see Killswitch Engage in Connecticut open for Slayer on this festival. And uh, I was back row VIP, like watching this whole thing. And they played My Last Serenade. And Howard just pulled the mic out like that. And everybody finishes the sentence. And I, I had never seen that because I was not paying attention. And I sat there, and my wife just looked at me, and I was like, these people know this song. And my friends were like, no shit, asshole. Where the fuck, where the fuck have you been for like five or six years? And I, I had tears in my eyes. I'm like, holy shit. People fucking know this stuff that I wrote and still care. And that's kind of when the light bulb went off. I was like, maybe I should continue to do music. And that will lead us into Times of Grace. Which... And Jesse hasn't seen the script for tonight because I did ask him, I said, do you want to know what we're going to talk about or would you rather I just surprise you and we react in the moment so it's natural and honest and organic and that's what we're doing. So he doesn't know what's going on. But next Isn't on my list... it better that way? It's better that way, right? Right. Next on my list of things to talk about is uh, Times of Grace, Fight for Life. So let's talk about that track and you know what that song means to you, what it's about. And Any fans of the, that particular song in the room right now? So Times of Grace is Adam and I's sad bastard project, as we like to call it. Because it is. It's, I mean, it's equal parts triumphant, but it comes from a very dark place for him and I. Um, the short of it is, quick backstory if you don't know, Adam threw his back out in London. Actually, he was in a London hospital here and had back surgery uh, and wrote almost the entire record in his head while recovering on a hospital bed from back surgery. So this man had the album here, and then once he was okay enough to use his hands, he wrote it all in like a week and a half, two weeks, which he doesn't like talking about it, but I call him a fucking genius all the time. Um, and then he gave me a call. We were back even further. Adam and I have kept in touch the entire time from when I left till this point. I would get random phone calls at like 2, 3 in the morning of him completely wasted, and he calls me uncle. Him and Joel call me uncle. Um, <laughs> uncle Jesse from an 80s TV show. Look it up. Uh, he's like, uncle, what are you doing? I'm like, Jesus, dude, I got to work at like 6. It's 3 in the morning. What are you doing? Tor's going. I got to go bake bread. Like. Yeah. Tor's going fucking shit. Howard's fucking everything in place. Oh, we don't know what we're going to do. Our career's going to shit. Like he just, because Howard was a madman for those who don't know. Uh, he'll tell you now. I can talk about it a little bit, but anyway. Back to the song, yeah? She's getting off track. Fight for Life was um, one of the last songs we wrote on that record because through that journey, um, and the song um, End of Days is actually an excerpt of a suicide note I was working on at the time when we were writing that record. So when the song starts, it's um, like a withered tree in winter's hold. That was how I started my fucking suicide note. What a poetic bastard, even when I was suicidal. Anyway, serious topic. Sorry, I shouldn't be chuckling about it, but um, I'm just really happy I'm past that. So Fight for Life was the first song I wrote when I started to come out of my depression, and I realized that I had something to live for, and I s should stop focusing so much on the negative and look to the positive, and I realized I had to fight for this and fight to like have my words heard to hopefully help other people who suffer from mental illness just like I do. 
Uh, and so that's, that song means everything to me because every time I hear it, I'm like, I remember that moment when I decided I wanted to live again. And that's what that song's about. Round of applause for that one. That project itself, that was the first time I interviewed you and Adam. It was uh, over an ISDN line, is what we call in the industry. Like I'm a basic... sure we were both drunk <laughs> on that You sounded tour. it. Jesus. You come, We've got a new genre. It's called Awesome Core. <laughs> or Motivational Core, as we still call it. What did that project mean to you then? Because assumedly that was about rebuilding your friendship, your musical connection. What was the you know, the, the positive outcomes beyond just the album you made and that document of art, what was the positive personal outcome of that project with you and Adam? Well, number one, it was the first time I ever came over to Europe. I had never, ever toured outside of the States. The first tour with Times of Grace was over in Europe doing festivals, and it blew my mind. It blew my mind. And I fell in love with... Uh, Fucking England, man. Honestly, on that tour, I loved coming over here and playing to a UK crowd. I had never experienced a UK crowd before. And people were just fucking, you guys are mental over here <laughs> compared to the States. You know, like people in the States are like, yeah, well, we've seen this before. It's okay. Whatever. <laughs> and uh, it reignited my love for, for touring. And like, I was like, holy shit. Like, there's a whole other world, literally a whole other world out there for me to like discover at the you know, risk of sounding like a total cheese bag. But, and I it put a fire under my ass and I'm like, I want to do this. I want this to be my career. So the, the, the backstory to that is they had asked me to rejoin Killswitch way before I did. And I said, no, you know why? I wanted Times of Grace to be the next thing. So selfishly, I was like, nope. Fucking times of grace is everything. And then the label's like, you're dropped. And Adam's like, I got a new kill switch record to write. Bye. <laughs> so I was working in a bar as a bartender. And I was like, shit, dude, what the fuck just happened? I toured the world with times of grace. And all of a sudden it was like, good luck. And I don't blame Adam for that. I really don't. It's a career band. You obviously keep that going. But uh, Howard Jones clearly wasn't fit to... Uh, to write for that record, which became Disarm the Descent. But um, I remember working at the bar and thinking in my head, times of grace, times of grace, times of grace. I wouldn't let it go. And then I got a, a text from my friend. It was like, hey, did you hear that Killswitch are doing auditions for a new vocalist? I'm like, oh, no, they're fucking doing it. They're actually going to do it. And in the back of my head, I'm like, do I want some other asshole doing this? No, fuck no. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Third singers, do they ever work out? Not so much. Um, so long story short, I texted the managers, and I was like, hey, put me on the list to try out. I was the last guy on the list. And I walked into the room at the end of the day. They had been playing with vocalists and exhausted, and they're like, this asshole. Because, <laughs> mind you, I'd already said no. I was like, nah, I can't sing Howard songs. Broken heart, achy, breaky. I don't get that shit. That's not my thing. Long story short, I fell in love with all that shit, and we had a blast. We jammed for, like, 16 songs. I sang a bunch of Howard stuff. The first song that really reignited, I know I'm rambling, but... It's good, dude. It's a yeah, ramble chat. The first um, song that really hit me between the eyes, and I'm like, I can do this, was Arms of Sorrow. When I heard that song and I read the lyrics, I was like, this guy gets it. Like, he knows what it's like to be fucked up and depressed. 
It's a sad song. Have you read the lyrics to that song? It's sad. It's fucking sad. But I was like, I get it. I can do this. I can totally do this. So, yeah, that's, that's the first song that really grabbed onto me. I went way off track. Reel me back in, Matt. Where are we going? So with you're, you're, re- you're rejoining the band. After that, you know, long extended intermission, you, you do the audition X Factor style. You walk in the room. <laughs> Simon Cowell's there with his pants up super high. No, I, I have those recordings on my laptop, by the way, of me auditioning. Yeah. They sound shit, but they, they thought it was good enough. <laughs> I'm trying to sound like Howard in one of them. It's terrible. I'm like, bruh, bruh, bruh. <laughs> What was your first show with the band like? What was the emotions going through your head that night? Do you remember where it was? Yeah, Worcester Palladium Metal Fest 2012. We had a, um, a big, what they call a kabuki drop, which is the big black curtain in front of the stage. And then they had um, two TV screens on either side. And they played the song, Reunited, it feels so good. <laughs> and they had pictures of us as kids way back in the fucking day when Joel had hair down to here. Adam had his fucking hair almost like this, but everywhere. And I had my little chin strap with my winter cap and my fucking anxiety-ridden face. Um, yeah, it's true. So we, we used Look at to- photos from me back then. I'm like, meh, I don't know. <laughs> Were you still definitely working through your own demons at that point then? Oh, yeah. I'm st- as we st- sit on the stage, I'm still working through my fucking demons, dude. We all are, right? You're lying if you're not. Um, but no, that was probably one of the happiest days of my life. And I was so excited. And then I blinked and it was over. And I was laying on the, on the floor of the dressing room. There's a picture of it. Actually, the guy who's out on tour with us now, Tom, who's photographing and documenting the whole Iron Maiden experience, which is forthcoming, was there that night and took this photo of me laying on my back in the dressing room. And I'm like, I literally said to everybody, what the fuck just happened? And Adam D is like, welcome back, bitch. <laughs> It was mental. I don't remember it, honestly. I don't remember. It was a, my brain just doesn't hold on to that. But afterwards, I was so exhausted and so fucking happy. It's the best, one of the best nights of my life, for sure. Let's talk about Howard. You've mentioned his name a few times, and I wonder if you could share with the audience tonight the friendship which you guys in recent months have developed, the things you've bonded over, and the, you know, creative process of working together with him, which I'm sure we've all seen, like, teaser snippets of for the new record so uh, i guess first of all put us in the picture of how that hand of friendship was extended and you know the the first meeting that you guys properly had one-on-one so um i i won't fill in the blanks too much because that's howard's job he's going to be doing a lot of press but um there was a big falling out with howard and the band that is not talked about um a lot of shit happened that was pretty fucked up he'll tell that story on his own terms and he's already started to which is really cool he had a really bad drinking problem, like bad, like to the point where you're worried about the fucking guy. But he hid it from everybody. He lied about it. That was huge. So it caused this really big rift. And he just lied to them for so long. So there was a lot of bad blood that nobody knew about. And I was not allowed to talk about. So I kind of disliked him because he fucked over my dudes. Like, you know, like he was that guy that every night before and after we get off stage, I'd hear about him. So he's kind of like that abusive, like, wife or husband that you hear about all the time. I'm like, fuck that guy. He sucks. And it wasn't completely his fault. <laughs> Everyone has their issues. There's takes two to tango, as, is, as the saying goes, yeah? So um, there were guilty parties on both sides, and there was some neglect 
friendship-wise that needed to happen. So as I matured and grew and realized it can't be all this guy, he can't be as bad as like the stories and all the drunken things they're saying. Um, sure enough, it wasn't the case. And uh, how did it happen? He came to a show in Canada, and this is after years. This happened like last year. And Adam was like, he's going to come out to a show. I'm like, cool. At this point, can we just bury the fucking hatchet? Can you guys like just make peace? Like, the guy's trying. He had that band Devil You Know, which that's a whole other thing if you guys don't know the backstory of that one. Howard's been through some shit, man, and he rose above, and I'm really proud of him. Um, he's also deals with mental illness and anxiety. And uh, that night when we talked one-on-one -on -one without anyone around, without the press speculating over who's a better vocalist, clearly for many years, Howard absolutely, 100%, that guy can sing his fucking ass off. And he doesn't warm up. Fuck that guy. Doesn't warm up. Never had vocal surgery. He's, he's an incredible vocalist. Um, so that night, it was a one-on-one, -on -one, me and Howard. And it took about 10 minutes before I was like, I, I really like you, dude. You're really similar to who I am. We have a lot of the same problems, except I fucking talk about them and you don't. So you should start talking about them. He's like, well, that's kind of why I'm here. Like, I want to start like you know, rebuilding my new life in so many words. Like, and he was making jokes to the guys about shit he'd done in the past. There's a lot of laughter. I saw the guys laughing and having fun and enjoying their old bandmate. And it was like, holy shit, I really felt it. And you ask any one of those guys that night, there was something in the room with us that was just like, just get all this bullshit out of the way and move on. And we did. And I... Fast forward to the end of the night, we're on the bus. Howard doesn't drink. He's a good man. He's stuck to his word. He hasn't drank. He actually got rid of, he no longer has diabetes because he doesn't drink and he works out. And he's actually beat fucking diabetes, which is insane. He doesn't have to worry about his insulin anymore. Right? Yeah. Applause. Fuck yeah. So I had enough drinks for both of us because I was so nervous. I got off stage. He gave me the biggest bear hug. And... He didn't even show his face to the audience. We're all nervous. Is he going to like show his face? And people are like, Howard. And I'm like, God damn, come sing. Because um, he can sing at a heart act like a motherfucker, which I will get him to do live soon with us. I promise you that. Um, yeah. Right? Fuck yeah. No, I'd, maybe in London. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Anyway. Someone's like, is there any tickets left? Fuck. No, I know. We'll see what happens. Um. So, um, yeah, we hit it off really well, and I remember looking at him and going, i got to talk to you. And something just came over me. So we're on the tour bus. For those who've never been on a tour bus, um, there's a curtain that divides, or a door that divides the driver. So you have the driver up front. There's a curtain. There's a front lounge, a bathroom, and then all where all the bunks are where you sleep, and a back lounge. Everyone's having fun in the front lounge, partying it up. Howard's eating tons of medical marijuana because that's his new thing, which helps him. Medical marijuana should be fucking legal across the fucking board. Anyway, side note. Um, that's on my list later yeah. on. We'll talk about that. Oh, yeah. We'll get to it. So we go up in the driver's lounge. The driver's in the hotel room sleeping. Me and Howard, one-on-one. -on -one, and I'm drunk enough to say what I had to say to him. With the fucking, my lip quivering, you know, when you get emotional. I was like, you were my best vocal teacher. And I could never fucking touch what you did in Killswitch. And he said, fuck you, motherfucker. 
Are you kidding me? I had to sing shit on a lavender's breathing when you quit. And all I kept hearing was Jesse, this, Jesse. He's like, fuck you. So we literally had a session where we're like, well, fuck you, because that's. And it ended up, both of us in tears, giving each other a fucking hug. And I was like, you're my motherfucker. We're going to fucking do some shit. I wrote a song. It's based off of your band name. And I want you to sing on it. He's like, bet, deal. So we gave each other daps. I'm like wiping the tears away. He's like, yo, check this song out. He gives me these two little like wireless earbuds, hands them to me, gives me this little, yeah. <laughs> I put the earbuds in. He walks away, like he per- dropped the mic, like check this out. I'm out. <laughs> I put the headphones in. He pressed play from the front lounge. I didn't even see him. And I heard Light the Torch. I heard this one song. I can't remember the name of it because I'm terrible with memory. And I'm literally in the front seat like, this motherfucker's back. Holy shit. This is going to be huge. It sounds like the Deftones with Howard Jones on vocals. So I came back in, and he just looks at me. The curtain opens, and Howard like, literally is like, what's up? <laughs> and I'm like, you motherfucker, this is so good. So um, fast forward to an hour later, everybody's drunk except for Howard. And I'm like, yo, Howard, do you, you listen to any trap music? Don't hate it. Don't hate. I put on Aesop Rocky. Yeah, right? Genius. He's, a, he's the Beatles of that music. Trust me, look him up. And Howard knew every word. I knew every word. Everyone was bombed out on the bus. They were all like, fuck this garbage. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. And I was like, that's it. Give me your phone number. Text me. Howard's like, it's Howard. I'm like, it's Jesse. And then the next day, I woke up to like paragraphs. And from that point on, we text each other at least once a week. I love that motherfucker. I think that needs the biggest round of applause of the night so far, right? All those years, all that history, all those scars and, you know, mixed signals and confusion and unanswered questions. And And sorry, not sorry, if you guys didn't realize how much I swear in real life. I swear a lot. I swear like a fucking sailor because I'm a happy man. So, yeah, right? Sorry, dad and mom. Will they listen to this one day if I make it online? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My dad will listen to everything. Shout out Mr. and Mrs. Leach. My father will come through and like read it and like kind of bring stuff up in conversation. So when you said this, what did you mean by that? Let's discuss it philosophically, theologically speaking. The man has two master's degrees and a PhD. His official title is the Reverend Dr. Leroy Leach. He's a powerful. Yeah, he's a powerful man. He is. He's very smart. Very, very smart. But uh, thankfully. through being a college professor from the ten, past 10 years, he's learned a lot about other cultures, about other sexualities, about other religions, and has learned to respect and understand them instead of criticizing them, which I'm very proud of my father. You can teach an old dog new tricks. What else can you tell us about the new album, dude? Obviously, you're on a new label now, Metal Blade. You've got Howard on a track. Uh, release dates is that sort of set in stone yet? No, what can nothing. you tell us? No? Once I had the vocal surgery, everyone was like, "Whoop, see what happens." Brian Slagle, owner of Metal Blade Records, was like, "Not worried about it. You're gonna be fine." I remember hitting him up on Twitter, and he was like, "Stop. You're gonna be fine. You're gonna make the Maiden tour. We're gonna make a great record." He didn't doubt me for a fucking second, and that is a man who signed Metallica, who put Slayer on their first thing. He's the godfather of metal, and he told me not to sweat it, and here I am. Uh, so that's one of the many reasons why we signed with Metal Blade Records, because 
the people that work at Metal Blade Records are fucking metalheads that love music, and I'm so honored and proud to be part of the Metal Blade family. Yeah. So, um, in terms of like sound, let's say fall. Fall next year. It's fall autumn. I don't think I've ever got to the bottom well, of that. Well, it'll be worth the wait. I promise you. <laughs> it's um already shaping up to be different. The heavy shit is very heavy, and then we're going a little more abstract. There's a, I'm singing a lot on some of the stuff. Don't worry, it's still screaming, but there's a couple of songs where I don't really scream much at all, and I'm really fucking proud of that. I think the emotion that I portrayed through my melodic vocals couldn't be captured with a scream. So I think it's going to be something for everybody. Uh, let's talk about Alone I Stand, the third song on our list of five to discuss the, you know, the meaning behind and this one, for me, what you were telling me earlier um, is you know, super interesting. So I wonder if you could share it with the crowd. Any Alone I Stand fans in the room? Yeah, it's a bit controversial for some people. But um, at one point, and I still sort of consider myself this, I'm, I'm a bit of an anarchist. I, uh, I don't believe in the government, I think we're being lied to on both sides. Like, like I talked about earlier, yes, yeah, we are, we are. They're all a bunch of fucking liars, man. Uh, and so for me, that was kind of my like subtle coming out of like, I'm an anarchist. I don't pledge allegiance to the flag. I don't have loyalty to a fucking line on a map that says we should be this or we should be that. Especially as I've traveled the world and met people from all different cultures those lines, those flags serve to divide us much more than they do unite us. And uh, I just got to a point where I'm like, I'm going to have to write a song about this. Like, burn it all down, fuck the system, anarchy. So when I wrote that song, that was the idea I had in mind. But as I've grown with that idea and I've sat with that idea, intellectually speaking, anarchy is kind of impossible because we need shit like roads. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right? Right? Telepunk that. Oh, well, the road you're bumming change on is actually paid by taxes. So you kind of need a system. But uh, the punk in me still is like, fuck the system. And the adult in me is like, don't audit me. Fucking taxes. Holy shit. So that song is about anarchy and about letting people know, like, I'm not, I don't salute a flag anymore. I don't fucking care about my country's flag i don't care about your country's flag i want us to see a bigger picture of humanity but they, i'm an artist i can i have the privilege to think that way you know what i mean i really do i know that because i've traveled and my position and my job allows me to think that way but we need people like me right who are like johnny rotten from the sex pistols being like fucking god said the queen we're all like holy shit what is this guy talking about or bob marley going one love and everyone's like holy shit what's that guy talking about you need those radical views to stir up the general populace who are so used to clocking in and out of a job answering to their boss that nine times out of ten they fucking hate showing up to work at monday morning like why am i fucking doing this so Music and art can serve that purpose. So for me, I wrote that song because I wanted to upset people and make them think, like, you don't have to think that way. You don't have to be an anarchist, but you don't have to subscribe to, like, this flag and this ideal and this political view that says you have to believe all these things under this left or right bullshit. I want to just fucking destroy it all and be like, I have no allegiance to any of that shit anymore. Amen, brother. In the middle is where we all meet. 
So you turned 40 recently? Yeah, 40. I never 40 thought I'd fucking old. live past 27. Tell us about that milestone, because I know you're someone who's present in the moment. You like to take stock of where you've been, where you're at, where you're going. Did you trip out in the months leading up to that milestone? Not, a, not at all. 40 is just a number, dude. It's just state of mind. I think I think younger than I did at 30. Now I'm at 40. And I think we should all stop thinking in terms of how old you are. Ooh, black balloons are over the hill. You know what? I, I welcome it, dude. Fuck it, man. I'm, I think I'm fitter, healthier, happier, and in a better state of mind than I was in my 30s. So bring it on. Bring on the gray hairs. I'm growing them out. Fucking everywhere. I'm gray as fuck, dude, and I'm 32. Dude, Bruce Dickinson's 60, <laughs> and he just destroyed Birmingham last night. So all hails to the old dudes. Old dudes rule, man. Fuck yeah. yeah he was literally 60 yesterday, so if anyone who wasn't there, he He's had wearing like a birthday hat on Birthday <laughs> top hat cake. It was amazing. Wait. Come on. Can I share a secret story you can't tell anyone? It stays in this room, right? Cool. This, this actually, I would love for you not to have it on the podcast. Okay. Can you edit this part out? Is everybody having a good time? Are you, are you enjoying the show so far? I guess we've got about 20 minutes left of our chat, and then we'll hand over to you after a short break. Um, I just want to flip the tone at this point and maybe go a little bit somber, but I think that that was the reason why a lot of people connected on the podcast episode we did together. And I think that's why a lot of you guys are here tonight is because Jesse's so open and upfront and honest about you know the dark side of life and the demons that he fights with daily and the lead-in i guess is because i never realized how much of an important figure anthony bourdain was on you and that dude if anybody in this room doesn't know him he was obviously like a celebrity chef but what he did for food culture was i guess really highlight the way food like music breaks down barriers right and it brings us together and it takes it back to that basic human connection and i guess it makes sense now but Tell me about, first of all, before we get into what I want to talk about, the importance of that guy and his work for you. Well, number one, he's a, he's a punk. When that, growing up a punk, you never think you're going to get outside of the small shitty clubs that smell like piss and beer. I never thought in a million years I would be where I am now. And he basically has the same sentiment. And he came on to be like a national. I mean, how many of you guys know who he is? Anthony Bourdain. If you don't know, look him up, dude. Trust me, it's worth it. His shows from when he started to his old and gray years before he took himself out, unfortunately. Um, you see a man, a young punk who's like angry and pissed off and you know, trying to figure himself out to an old man who has traveled the world and softened his heart and realized like we're all connected in some way. And it's such a profound journey to watch his shows because you literally grow up with him as he travels. Um, so food culture has always been important because when I'm not on tour, uh, I would bartend or work at a restaurant and be in the service industry. And uh, the joke, running joke is with friends of mine who are comedians, bartenders, restaurant people, or musicians, we're all the same type of people. So most of the bartenders and restaurant workers that you meet are very similar chemically to a musician and same thing with stand-up comedians. Um, so the, they all need to be treated with fragile respect because we're all fucked up people. But he brought that to light. Like He's like, hey, the food that you eat and the way you treat your, your server, your waitress, that matters. He was the first guy to really speak up and be like, stop treating people who are serving you like shit. Because guess what? Behind the scenes in that kitchen that you don't see because you're sitting at your table ordering, 
there's a chaos going on back there. It's much like a fucking mosh pit, but it's people with knives and food. And he really brought that to light and, and made me realize, first of all, that I love that aspect of it. And it made me want to be a bartender. It made me want to work in a restaurant, which I did in between Times of Grace and Killswitch. I was a bartender and I worked in the kitchen and I fucking love it. I still keep in touch with all my bartender friends. Um, so he was really poignant for me at that point in time where I realized if this fucking punk could learn how to grow and like become an international traveler because he wrote a book exposing the fucked up shit that goes on in the kitchen, one of us can do it. We can all have that opportunity if you just embrace that darker side and expose it. So for me, he, he'll be a hero, God rest his soul, um, forever for me because when you watch his show, he takes you on this journey with him and his wit and his humor and the way he narrates certain things. He makes you feel like you're there in that other country that he's in. And uh, he was my um, – so when I go to bed at night, at the, you know, for those who have never toured in a tour bus, you basically sleep in a little coffin. If you wake up in the middle of the night in a bad dream and you get up too quick, you hit your head. You're in a coffin. It's a dark, strange place that can be very comforting and beautiful and restful, or it can be very stressful and dark and anxiety-ridden. So at night when I have anxiety attacks, which I have them more than I'd like to admit, there were nights where I would sit with my laptop on my uh, 40-year-old belly and watch Anthony Bourdain and fall asleep to that voice, that man just talking about whatever he was talking about. And... uh yeah, he was my companion on a, on many tours. And it's funny how you think you know somebody because of social media and from the shows that they host, but he had a dark side. And like he was a guy that on paper had everything, success, fame, fortune, whatever. But he fucking killed himself because he had this mental illness he didn't know how to really talk about. And when he passed recently, it just gave me even more purpose to keep talking about people who are broken, you know, like myself and how we like, sometimes if you just say it out loud, it can mean the difference between life and death that night. And, uh, on that topic, I want to bring up Joel and Adam from kill switch, my Polish giants. I call them my, my, my father's when I have nights where I'm spiraling and I'm in a really rough spot, I can come down because they, no fail. Those two guys are in the front lounge of the bus drinking beer from 11 to 5 in the morning almost every night. I'm not fucking kidding. So if I'm in a bad spot in my little bunk and Anthony Bourdain doesn't do the trick, I can literally go downstairs. Those two will hug me. They'll put a drink in front of me, and I'll say, hey, I thought about this dark fucking thing, and I'll say it out loud. And then it goes away because my friends heard what I had to say and they helped me work through it. So shout out to Joel and Adam D. Let's talk about medication, the, the good yep. kind, the good kind, not the, you know, the masking of the pain kind. I know you're a big advocate of cannabis and psychedelics. And I wonder if you could just shed some light on what taking those kind of drugs if you even want to call them that have, have done for yeah. you the, the positive effects that those things when taken responsibly yeah uh, drugs is a word that's been used by the establishment 
to make us feel guilty about things that actually really fucking help us. I'm not talking about heroin or, or cocaine or like that stuff that ruins your goddamn life. But marijuana is a fucking plant, like a seed, yeah, that you put in the ground. And it was there before it was called a drug. It's there and it's medicine. And anyone who disputes that, um, especially if you're drinking alcohol, which is, it takes a lot to get to where that is processed, which I still love alcohol, but marijuana is our ancestors' medicine. Mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, are our ancestors' medicine. That goes back thousands of years. Granted, if you're doing it a ton to numb yourself, like we're talking about, probably not the best idea, but in small doses, it can be a medicine. It can take some people off those pills, those little white pills that you take every day to balance your brain out that are fucking poison, that are based on a multi-billion dollar um, corporation that's feeding off of your habit that they've given you to heal you is actually in nature. It is. And I have started to speak openly about this. People are like, are you fucking crazy? Fucking hippie? But mark my words, it's happening. The revolution is happening now with medical science where Medical marijuana, CBD, all of these things are very valuable. And uh, they've helped me. But I will specifically say low-dose psychedelics have changed my life. Um, I don't have to take any pills. I do a small, and we're talking like such a small dose that you're not seeing things. It's not what the media has told you. You're going to fucking jump out a window and go, I'm fucking nuts. I can't handle my life. You're taking such a small dose it just helps those synapses in your brain reconnect to another synapse. Please, I urge you, if you have a mental illness, do your research. And unfortunately, we live in such an archaic, uh, puritanical society that these things are still illegal. But there are revolutionary people who will put their lives, and I have friends in prison who are serving prison sentences because they believe that this medicine works, and I've been on it for three years and I've got to tell you, it works. And the fact that our government keeps it illegal is a reason for that. Again, going back to the control. And I know you guys probably, some of you probably look at me and go, that's fucking crazy, motherfucker. But mark my words, it'll change your life. It's changed my life. Uh, microdosing of psychedelics and medical marijuana across the board works if done properly and diagnosed properly by somebody who knows what they're doing. And unfortunately, there are guerrilla-style doctors and therapists who will treat people with these things, and I've met them, and they've saved my fucking life. And taking heroic doses of mushrooms is also really fun. Well, if you're in the right place, he's, he's right, he's right. <laughs> Under shamanic supervision. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so The Weapon, your new project. Um, let's talk about the track Shotgun Anarchy, which references a track we talked about and discussed earlier. Tell us about the meaning behind that song and a bit about that project yeah. and what, what so, we can expect from that. So the guy, Joshy, I was talking about earlier, who looks like a little Lemmy, the mod production stage manager for, for um, Kill Switch Engage. That dude writes really catchy, amazing punk rock. And uh, him and my friend Chris, who was in a band called Thy Will Be Done, and also in a Japanese hardcore band called um, some th Aggressive Dogs. Those two got together and wrote a bunch of really great punk rock and asked me to sing on them. And the songs are like a minute and a half. 
maybe two minutes, fast, right to the point, hardcore punk, fun shit that I grew up with. We have two songs out on Bandcamp, uh, which we don't talk about much, and I will eventually get back to like rehyping it, but I have to get the Kill Switch record done first. And then uh, End Times of Grace, God damn it. And, uh, but, um, so Shotgun Anarchy was a song I wrote after I wrote Alone I Stand. So Alone I Stand is my like, oh, I'm an anarchist, right? Shotgun Anarchy is sort of the older me going, again, like I was talking about taxes and roads and those things that we pay for that society kind of needs to exist. It's a sarcastic song about anarchist punks. It's like, you want to be an anarchist punk, but it's kind of not practical. <laughs> so it's, it's almost like the adult version of Alone I Stand, but in a very quick fist in the face, one minute and 30 second song. I'm really proud of that project. And I have a lot more to come. If you're a fan of Black Flag or Circle Jerks or Minor Threat or the Bad Brains, that's the style of music it is. And we'll have a full length, hopefully, in the next year. Weapon coming soon. And we're going to jump to the fifth and the final song now. This is an exclusive for everyone in this room. The true meaning behind this song has, I believe, never been discussed or divulged anywhere ever. And this is great. So my last serenade. On paper, my last serenade is about. So on paper, in interviews, I talk about which it is now. It means this to me now as an adult. Um, it's about burning bridges, and about getting to that point in your life with somebody who you're like, we can no longer operate. You know, you're toxic in my life, and you have to know when to like cut those people out of your life and move on. Um, <laughs> so that's like the definition I've been given reporters and done in interviews for years and years and years and when talking to matt earlier at the at the old crown pub my favorite bar in all of england which if you've never been go it's great there are ghosts so there it's fucking amazing it's like old 16th crown. century yeah literally it's like a 600 year old <laughs> something pub so we're sitting at the pub and um i'm like hey i've never really talked about this should i, should I divulge this so um i'm gonna show my uh my emo haircut the song is about a fucking breakup with a girl, dude. Which people assumed it was, and I'm like, no, it's not, dude. It's about, like, society. It's about a girl. But thankfully, I've grown up since then, so when I'm on stage singing it, thankfully, I no longer think of her. I'm thinking about all of us and the greater meaning of what it means to me now. But uh, yeah, put that in your pocket. That's a fucking emo song. It's interesting, isn't Look it? Look at the video. It's such shit video. It's such a shit video. Oh, so another thing that I don't think it's ever been said. The girl in the video worked at Hooters. <laughs> that restaurant in the state. Uh, do they have them here? I don't think you have I'm them I'm sure here. everyone knows Hooters, right? Anyone with their girlfriends? Like, no. She was a Hooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just go for, for the chicken wings. Uh, she, was a, she was a Hooters girl. And the guy from L.A. was like, yeah, we're going to hire that girl to be in the video and look in the fucking thing. I don't know what that video is all about, but uh, it's a shit video. <laughs> it's it's interesting how a song can evolve like that over time and the meaning can change to you. Obviously, you know, it's funny that it was originally inspired by that. But as you say, now it's kind of taken on a whole new and more profound meaning. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that people still give a shit is... I'm not going to lie to you guys. Every night I'm on stage when I sing that song and I hear people sing it back, I'm like, holy shit. It still fucking matters. And I am so grateful for that. Honestly, I never thought 
as a pacing little broken-hearted emo boy when I was 22 writing that song about that girl that fucking broke my heart, that that would still be an anthem. So I am humbled by that for sure. That basically brings us up to the end of part one. Um, I want to just ask you finally if you have anything at this point that you'd like to say to the people who are here off the back of that. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving a shit about the words that I write. Uh, thank you for your messages and for your comments. I don't respond to all of them because I can't, but I read a lot of them. And uh, I'm an unstable person. I have a mental illness. I am suicidal at times. I have anxiety and depression. I'm fucking broken. Um, but I find a way to find a new reason to live every day. And I just hope that that comes through in my lyrics and my words. And if there's anything I can bestow upon you, is that it's life is worth it. And it's not just about you, it's about all of us. We all have something to contribute. And there's got to be a moment where you've got to stop being all about you, where you've got to look at the people, you've got to look at the broken state that we're in in this world. And what can you do to help change that? And I think if there's any legacy I could leave with anybody, God forbid I die soon or later, is that like extend a hand of compassion that homeless guy that you walk by every day don't continue to walk by him you don't have to give him money but maybe go and get him some food and some water and look at his face and recognize him as a human being that hasn't been touched or talked to in so long give them food look in their eyes get to know their name give them a hug and you'll see the power that love has to change the fucking world we're so hell-bent on negativity on social media from governments to fucking everything. It's all feeding off your negativity as you scroll, scroll, scroll. Stop with that shit. Look in someone's eyes and, and give love back. That is the most powerful thing we have. And if there's any message I have, it's that. Give love, receive love. It'll change the fucking world, I promise you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Without further ado, I now declare part two of this evening's show underway. Am I going this way? Yeah, dude. Welcome back to the stage, Jesse Leach, folks. All right. Hey, sorry. Shout out to the singer of Doom. Do you guys ever hear the band Doom? Fucking legendary punk band. That guy right there. Uh, all hails, motherfucker. I'm putting you on the spot. You'll know him as Johnny Doom from Kerrang Radio. In the house. Do you know his band, though? Look his band up, Doom. Uh, where's Ryan? Is Ryan in the room? Come down, Ryan. So this is my friend Ryan. He's going to be my glamorous assistant for this part of the show. So this is your microphone, Ryan. The cable is long. If you have a question for Jesse, pop your hand in the air. Ryan will come over, give you the mic, tell us your name. What's your name? Where are you from? And what's your question? And we'll just hang out and do this for the next 45 minutes or so, if that sounds good. The floor is yours, Birmingham. Who wants to go first? This gentleman here. What's your name? And what's your question? You know, dude, I'm Brian from West Brom, only down the road. Um, what's up, brother? What's <laughs> up, dude? How are you? I'm stunned. I would never imagine I'd be here. That's in the a life. great beard you got, brother. Thank you very much. It was inspired by Joel's, funnily Is enough. that a Thing t-shirt you're wearing? What is it's that? Discharge t-shirt. Oh, di- well, Discharge, another fucking band. If you don't know, look them up. Discharge, fucking brilliant band. <laughs> they are awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, my question, as um, a frontman. When you're in like a really bad funk and you're just about to go on, or actually on stage, how do you kind of change that thought? How do you kind of get that PMA kind of pop back up? It's, oh, I like that. Good use of the word PMA. Positive mental attitude, for those who don't know. It's a song by the Bad Brains. Uh, it's a lifestyle for a lot of punks. Good reference. Um, sometimes you don't, you know. I think the most important thing is to try to be present on stage um, but also keep in mind your technique because sometimes emotion can destroy a voice I know from 20 years of doing it Um, my best advice to you would be to look out at the audience the people who are next to you and think to yourself okay there's a reason why I'm here I need to focus on that right now and like pull yourself out if you can of your own head and think about those around you and try to just get through it and then deal with yourself after, you know? I think that's the best medicine. And also, when you get off stage, if you're having one of those nights, don't fucking drink a lot of alcohol because that is the... You don't drink at all. Smart fucking man. You're smarter, than, you're smarter than me. We've done a whole bottle of rum tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a professional. Don't attempt this at home, please. Um, seriously, alcohol... It can be terrible for someone with mental illness. Um, so don't, please don't do that if you're having a attack or feeling like you're not in a good place. Um, and then fucking ask for help. Look to your mates, your friends, and be like, hey, tonight I'm off, guys. Don't be like, metal's fucking, uh, like, <laughs> literally tell someone you're not okay, please. That helps a lot. Who has a question? Cool. We'll work the front section first, Ryan, and then we'll get to you guys at the back if you want to go down here. This couple down the front. Hello. Uh, uh, hey. Hold on. What's your name? What's your Sorry. question? Yeah, yeah I, I'm trying to get my words out. This is, uh, <laughs> just like Brian, I'm, I'm there. Like, this, is, this is real. Um, my name is Jacob from Birmingham. Uh, hey, brilliant Jacob. show last night. Hey, oh, like thank a, you. I've got like a script of stuff I'd want to say, but I'll keep it short. Go ahead. Um, first thing is uh, you mentioned about Element of One being uh, such a personal song to you, it means a shitload to me. 
can you play that fucking song one time? I love can that you song. tell the other four members to fucking do that? Because <laughs> I've been trying to change the set list for years. <laughs> And we keep playing the fucking hits over and over again, and there's so many songs that are being neglected. So, yeah, tell them that, please. Uh, that, the real question was, um, obviously... I'm not bitter. The first time I've <laughs> seen you back on stage with Killswitch was um, a Roadrunner United uh, live gig. Oof, sorry. Which blew... Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, uh, th- this is the one I'm picking. Because um, that blew my mind, that deal. I was like, no fucking way. Jesse's back on stage. And then, obviously, Howard jumps on. Was that planned? Uh, no. And yeah, I is there no anything idea. you can say about it? No, that I had one? no idea how I was going to jump on stage, and I was like, this motherfucker. So I jumped on his back, and then someone, took sla- <laughs> someone snapped a photo. I'm like, Jesse and Howard getting on. I'm like, just motherfucker. <laughs> we, we, weren't on, we weren't friends then. So that shot that people took of us, like, these guys are getting on. And my teeth are showing, my snaggly teeth. That's not a friendly shot. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> no, I'm joking. We weren't mad, but yeah, I, I had no idea that that was happening. And that night actually was a huge night for me because it made me, again, realize the impact that Killswitch had on the metal community and uh, made me feel kind of proud of something I wrote when I was a fucking kid. Go ahead. fucking love that song that you did on the album as well. Oh, Blood and Flames with Matt from Trivium. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. On the left, down the front, any questions down here? Gentleman in the cap. He was... The quickest in the air. That's, that's the trick. If you're first up, you're straight in. Hi, I'm uh, Jack from Wigan. Hey, Jack. Hi. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your love for hip-hop. Because uh, first and foremost, I'm a hip-hop head. But I've, you! Thank, yeah. <laughs> I've, but I've been listening to all the heavier side of music since I was born, basically. Um, yeah. You were mentioning ASAP Rocky, and you were mentioning all of the old, um, all the classic hip hop from back in the day. I was wondering, is there anything that's come out within the past five or ten years which really like connects you? Yeah, anything shit. out of the SoundCloud scene or yeah. the Miami or LA scene? Anything like that? I have stuff on my phone. I'm, I'm an old man now; and I can't remember stuff. Um, but I'll give you some mainstream stuff for sure, um, if I can remember. Brain, brain, brain work. Uh, there's a guy named Toby. His last name is Nigerian. It's like Yungwe. He's from Houston, Texas. Um, he is putting out positive, incredible lyricist stuff in the trap scene where he's raising awareness about ghetto mentality and like, I wish I could pronounce his last name, but I don't. He's incredible right now. You can find him on Instagram. Put in Toby, hip hop, Houston, you'll find him. He's incredible. Um, J. Cole, I think, uh, in the mainstream is kind of like the newer Tupac. He's really raising the bar for people who, uh, especially with this, for those who are familiar or not familiar, you can't not be. It's all over the place, like a bunch of clowns in the media. Some of that, like, trap music that go mumble rap, which are a bunch of teenagers with face tattoos, not really saying shit, hooked on drugs. Honestly, and I think that's there's a reason for that. If you look at, like, here's hip-hop nerd going in. So if you look at Lil Wayne, right, when Lil Wayne came on the scene and everyone was like, who the fuck is this guy? He's intelligent compared to the shit that's going on now in the mainstream media because the stupider that stuff is, the better off it is to keep people dumb. So a lot of that trap music isn't intelligent for a reason. 
But someone like J. Cole is coming out there being like, look, kids, he's speaking right to those guys, right? Being like, you don't have to be the pawns. You can actually speak about stuff that's intelligent. Um, next up, I would say um, Kendrick Lamar is uh, a very intelligent guy who's doing hip-hop, and he's a huge pop star. I'm sure all you guys know who he is. But read his lyrics. He's a scholar. He's a very brilliant man. And I'd say off the top of my head, those are the people that I would say are bringing real hip-hop to the mainstream and educating people. As far as the underground, um, off the top of my head, I couldn't give you SoundCloud and all that. I'm not that intricate. I'm old and tired, so I don't pay attention as much as I used to, <laughs> if I were to be honest with you. Good stuff. Uh, gentleman here, white T-shirt, short shorts. Hi, Jesse. Um, so you mentioned earlier. About, Hold on. Oh, wait, wait, What's wait. your name? What's your question? <laughs> uh, format <I'm> here. <laughs> want I'm, to get uh, to know you too, dude. Come on. Yeah, I'm Dan from Reddit. Hey, Dan. Um, so you mentioned earlier about My Last Serenade, about how every time you sing that song, it's kind of like that, oh, shit, you know, people are into this song. And, uh, so that kind of got me thinking. Obviously, when you're doing shows almost back-to-back sometimes, how do you kind of keep yourself interested and motivated in doing this kind of same songs as much as obviously we all love hearing them you as the performer doing them all the time you know how do you keep yourself kind of into it and you know i think there's a few things i think one is uh i meditate uh before i go on stage i do like breathing exercises which is it sounds cheesy to people who haven't done it but it actually works it slows your heart rate down and makes you think clearer and I'm able to be more present when I'm on stage because of that. And number two, in the back of my mind always when I'm on stage is this job rules. I've done a ton of jobs in my life. This job rules. I could be behind a bar right now cleaning spit out of glasses. This job rules. It's a mantra that I keep of like stay present, stay thankful because there are kids on the Internet on YouTube and SoundCloud that could destroy me vocally. I'm just fortunate enough to be here to sing that same song night after night, so I keep that in the back of my head. All right, let's take it to the back for a moment. There's a gentleman there in a Slipknot T-shirt and glasses, Ryan. Go on, son. Stick my fingers you got, you got plenty of girth there. Keep eyes. going, keep going. It's the Don't be shy, don't be way. shy. You've got loads of wire to work with. There we go. Jesus, it never You know what to do, my friend. You know what to do. Not gonna take Hi, Jesse. Uh, Karen from a... <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, Karen, Shout out to Corey Taylor. Love uh, him. <laughs> he's amazing. Um, my name is Karen. I'm from a small town outside of Birmingham called Evesham. Hey, brother. Um, my question is sort of the lyrics that you write um, are obviously very uh, personal to yourself with your experiences. Has there ever been a moment where you've been at a show, people have been singing those back to you and you can almost see the emotion on their faces? Has there been a moment where you've kind of had to step back from that moment because it, it's just got too much for you? Yeah, and I usually mask it with laughter and uh, pretend to take a drink or pretend my microphone doesn't work. But yeah, I still have those moments where I'm like going to lose it. And, you know, when you're like doing the speech at your best friend's wedding and you're like, oh, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry. There's been moments on stage where like I'll, I'll see the audience start to sing and I'm like, jeez, not tonight, tears, not tonight. So I'll put the mic out and smile and just like go back in my head, tears, please. This is not the... So yes, there are times, but I think 
I'm a professional <laughs> and I can't cry on stage. So there's other ways to mask it. And uh, thank God for Adam D for making me laugh a lot. And he knows, you know, some of the nights he can tell and he'll make that joke of just the terriblest thing you ever want to hear about women's genitalia or like, I don't. <laughs> and it's sometimes it's timed because he knows that I need it because he's my best friend and he can see like I'm not having a good time. So uh, once again, hails to Adam D. <laughs> the Mr. Motivator of metal. <laughs> Gentleman there. Hi, Jesse. How you doing, bud? Oh, nice strong Hi, voice. Everybody. Yeah. Powerful my name, lungs. My okay. name is Tim. A long time listener, first time caller. How you doing? <laughs> yeah. All right. Nice. Solidarity, mate. You get two questions yeah, for that. <laughs> really? All right. So do you think, going back to what uh, two fans said at the beginning about Elemental One and My Lesser Aid, do you think there's a certain process where bands these days, when they get to a certain ilk, they have to then stick to that set list of which you were talking about? So be it where they have to play My Lesser Aid, uh, My Curse, such like that, and not taking risks or believing in their back catalogue to say where you could play like uh, Self-Revolution or you could play where, where Darkness Falls, where it's taking a chance to play that, knowing that it's not going to be against the popular consensus? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's a checks and balances with that. Thankfully, over the years, we've been able to switch it up here and there. But, you know, um, specifically for the Maiden Tour, for example, it was already discussed. Look, not Maiden, Maiden fans, not all of them know who we are. So we should pull out the best of. So there are certain tours where that does happen. But, you know, as much as I was jokingly bitching about it, um, there have been tours where we rotate the set. We'll have three or four different sets. So if you're traveling and seeing us every night, if it's four in a row, you'll get a different one. So it depends on the tour, the politics of the tour. Um, I do wish we would play a little bit more of the diverse hits, uh, diverse songs, not hits, clearly not hits, uh, diverse songs. I think some of our stronger songs have never been played live. Um, but I think it's a constant evolution of five guys and their weird egos and insecurities battling it out and uh you know to be truthful you know there's one guy in particular who can kind of call the shots and we have to run it by him and see what he thinks so i'm constantly pushing that every tour i'm that annoying fuck on the emails it's like <laughs> how about this song how about that song and occasionally it sneaks in uh for example that song reckoning which is on the unnameable record that we don't play songs off of the second self-titled, which the entire band hates. I was like, that song is brilliant. So I actually really worked hard for that song, which is a song I didn't even write. I was like, we need to play that every once in a while. And then When Darkness Falls wasn't being played a lot. So I'm still fighting for that. But uh, it's checks and balances depending on the tour and the politics behind it, you know? This is what I like to see. <laughs> Ryan, just because he's right there, the dude in front of you, the amazing Tom Selleck mustache. <laughs> uh, I'm Adam from Birmingham. Hey, uh, Adam. Strength of the Mind is like a song that really embodies the message of PMA. So what does PMA and Strength of the Mind mean to you, personally? Heavy. So PMA, which I have actually tattooed on my leg. Right here? Uh, in the Rasta colors, because it's a song by the Bad Brains called Attitude. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, the lyrics are like, don't care what you may say, I got that attitude. Basically, these four black gentlemen in the 80s were playing hardcore music in front of a predominantly white audience. And we're constantly being marginalized by society. We're like, 
fuck you. We're going to stay positive. We're not going to get angry and fight back. We're going to show you love, ja love. So that's where PMA comes from, and it's a huge... His trousers are stuck. Let's just I give know. him a moment. Let's because my cows are massive. Keep that PMA, dude. No, my pants are just fucking tight. That's all it is. Um, strength of the mind was my sort of um, open book to people who suffer like me to let them know that there is a strength that you can have to change things. And you don't have to believe all the negativity that people pour on you. You know, the word depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, you know, OCD, these are dirty words that we don't like to talk about. And when someone brings it up, you can see a shift in the room. People are like, ah, thankfully that's starting to become more of the norm. And I think the more it's normalized, the better off we are with our artists and our special people who are fucking just not normal, you know, who are broken, who are just have these ticks. Most of the creative people in society are the broken ones. And so for me, it was my sort of way to go like, hey, creative people, like people who are broken like me, like you can get through this. Change your fucking mind of like the negative shit you've been told all these years about your illness and change it into your weapon. Change it into your strength, and then you can fucking move mountains with that energy. And that's what I try to do with that song every night I sing it. Ryan, let's go right to the back of the room, because there's a lady there in a Wu-Tang t-shirt, so let's give her the Wu-Tang! I live and, in Brooklyn. And she's standing up, like, give me that mic. Yo, Brooklyn in the house, right here. And she's Wu-tang! taking the actual floor. What's your name? What's your question? I'm Clam Short, that's why. <laughs> so, we um, see you. So firstly, I've got two questions, so I might be a little bit cheeky. One's emotional, and uh, the second one's um, just for fact. Just want to know it. Okay. Let's um, go fact first, save the best for last. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's the best video you've ever done, and why? In due time. Yes. Uh, I think it captures the essence <laughs> of who we are as a band and friends. <laughs> And when we were approached to do it, um, Ian McFarland and Mike Petchy, who are the geniuses behind Always as well, which I think Always easily, like, second, probably should be first, but I think In Due Time shows the band in its natural element with our friends, having a good time. And I think our impact as a metal band, if anything, has been to show that it's okay to be emotional, it's okay to have fun, and make stupid, terrible jokes that Adam makes. Um, (laughs) But that's kind of part of our legacy. You know, I look back at um, a band like Anthrax. They were the first band to be, like, making goofy faces and, like, taking the piss. And I think we've sort of taken that on of, like, it's okay to smile in metal and be who you are. You don't have to be fucking, metal, (laughs) wear black, worship Satan, fight everyone. Like, that image is cool. It works for certain bands like Slayer. But um, I think Into Time captures the spirit of Kill Switch Engage. Thank you. That's what I was hoping. What was the emotional one? <laughs> well, you can say no, but you said like Go. no whole bar. Anything goes. Uh, Bring it. So first, thank you for just being you and Adam, because Tams of Grace just made me rock the fuck out and thank be you. here tonight. So thank you. And uh, secondly, your wife is absolutely fucking fierce and amazingly beautiful. <laughs> So, yeah, she is. And I'm not even married to her. But I've seen a threesome <laughs> scenario coming up. Definitely not. You want details? Definitely no. not. Definitely not. <laughs> One team only. Cheeky. <laughs> but um, 
my personal, because I'm a mama, and I just want to know, because, like, you, to me, are amazing. Your wife you is fierce. You're going to go there, or do you want to adopt? And if you tell me to fuck off, I'll sit back down and drink my beer. <laughs> Ask it first. Are you going to have a baba? Am I going to have a what now? Baby. <laughs> are, are you going to sow the seeds? Have you considered fatherhood, Jesse? <laughs> I am doing nothing to stop it. Yes. <laughs> that being said, I haven't done anything to stop it for a decade. <laughs> I've gotten tested. I'm shooting good. That's Roll good. the dice every time I'm in there. Yes. <laughs> good luck. Shove it in up. How's that for your answer? Love it. Uh, this gentleman down here, Ryan, with the glasses, halfway down, hands still in the air. Can't believe his luck. He's like, what, me? Yes. Hi, I'm Grantham from Dudley. Do you sing for the Descendants? No. Fucking brilliant, like man. Milo, doesn't he? Um, I've got a Times of Grace related question. Yeah. Um, Wait, who the, are you? Where you come from, Grant right? from Dudley. Yeah. Oh, Grant he said Dudley. it. Yeah, he said it. It just uh, got, the, lo- it got lost in the... The evening. rum is getting, getting to me. Go ahead. Haw- Hawk ears. Um, it's a bit of a two-in-one question. So the first part is, the first record can be seen as quite a triumphant record. So what kind of lyrical themes can we expect from the new album? Um, initially, from what I've started, it's pretty dark. Um, but PMA, it's going to be positive too. So I think it's a lot of the same ideas... But I think maybe intellectually where we're coming from lyrically as older people, I think it'll be a little heavier and a little more um, thinking man's metal if we can go that route instead of... Well, musically as well. Tell, tell um, them what so you're musically, musically so right now we're dealing with four acoustic songs that are strictly acoustic, blues, dark sounding stuff. Um, Adam has written stuff that I would compare to... If you took, um, and if you don't know these bands, look them up, Explosions in the Sky, and mixed it with a bit of Neurosis and, um, hell, some fucking Tom Waits and Radiohead. That's kind of the, we're going a whole other direction that hopefully will, people will stop fucking calling it metalcore because I don't even know what the fuck that term means anymore. Um, I think we're going more abstract, more artistic. Um, there are longer songs. There are a much more instrumentation, organ work. There'll probably be strings on this next record. It's going to be a lot different than the last record. But topic-wise, pretty much, you know, dealing with the heavier questions of life and existence. Um, uh, yeah, intellectual core, let's call it. <laughs> so following on from that. So pretentious. Intellectual core. They've matured core, from awesome core to intellectual core. <laughs> Go ahead. So following on from that, when can we expect the new record? Fuck if I know. Uh, ask the press team. They're back there. We'll get them later. Uh, thank you very much, Grant. Hopefully in the next year-ish or so. I don't know. Let's go, Ryan, to the lady on the left with the black top and the left hand in the air. Oh, right hand. It's my left. So, uh, first of all, I just want to say I love you so Hi. much. <laughs> um, oh, thank you. Being someone who's been th- through mental health problems, um, I respect you for just being so open about it and being so strong to still deal with it on a daily basis. I 
really have so much respect trying, for you. Trying, trying. Trying to. <laughs> um, obviously, so first of all, my name's Jenny. I'm just oh, living. sorry, yeah. I'm going to distract you. What's your name? She corrected herself. <laughs> you're self-aware. It's good. I was just like so nervous. Um, you don't need to be nervous at all. You're amongst friends here. It's all um, good. I live oh, yeah. in Kidderminster, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> um, got two really, really unserious questions. <laughs> good. I need a breather. Um, first of all, why did you get rid of the mutton chops? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. You want a simple question? Two part. One, I have an overbite, weak chin, doesn't look so good. Two, a beard is easier. People are like, my beard is so pride, pride, pride. It's lazy. You don't have to fucking shave it. I love the slipknot guys. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. All you do is you get up and you put a little bit of fucking natural oil in it and you're like, yeah, it's good. Done. And I don't have a very strong chin. I look at those photos. I'm like, oh, you look odd. Cartoony odd. I'll share this with you. I sent a picture of Jesse to the sub sidebar as like a poster design for the after party. And I sent it to you. We haven't even spoken about this ourselves. Ugh. And I, I text him the poster and I said, would you share this poster and talk about the after party? And he was like, yeah, sure. And then I see he just made his own. <laughs> and, yeah. and the reason why now I know is because in the design I sent, he's got the mutton chops. So he's obviously that unhappy with it. He's like, I'm going to make my own fucking poster because I ain't sharing that shit. No one is respects that why? A, is that why? Uh, no one respects a man with a weak chin. <laughs> um, and question number two. So what's the weirdest thing that you and Adam have ever done? <laughs> Best question of the night. Fully, fully honest, what is the weirdest thing you two have ever done? I did so many. And a lot of it is his fault. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> we're, we're in Australia, Soundwave tour, um, and those are fucking mental. You fly every day. It's exhausting. You don't even know where you are sometimes. Um, and he gets hammered. Like, it's not a shocker to all you guys. He, like, he very, but no, there are nights where he doesn't even know his own goddamn name. He's so hammered. So me being the grumpy singer guy that has to get some sleep, I'll be in the hotel room sleeping soundly, earplugs in, Weird little mouth guard with my stupid weak chin. I have to have a mouth guard. I mean, I, yeah, I, have, I drool in my sleep with a mouth guard. Sexy, right? No, not at all. Old. Anyway, um, he comes in, and he's fucking lit. He's so drunk. He wakes me up. I look up. I see this big Polish motherfucker looking at me, and he's like, oh, cool. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, what, brother? I, fuck. God damn it. I love you. I love you too, brother. You're a good lyricist. <laughs> Thank you. I don't tell you enough. I'm like, can you fucking tell me tomorrow morning, brother? Please. Lays on me. <laughs> Boom. All fucking however much he weighs. In my ear. You shop and you listen to me right now. I fucking love you. Don't tell anyone I did this. I fucking love you so much. I fucking love you so much. I'm like, Jesus, get off me. And I pull him off. He's looking, like, the look in his eyes. You know when someone's really drunk and they're not, they're, like, looking that way? And I just knock him off the bed. I'm like, ooh, is your back okay? I'm sorry, sorry. And he's like, fuck you. So I wake up in the morning. He's still on the fucking floor. <laughs> he looks up at me. I look down at him. I'm like, do you remember last night? No. I was like, good. I'm not going to tell anyone. Round of applause for Adam D, I think. <laughs> Okay, let's bring it and back. And that's a true story. I'm not joking. That's true. 
Let's go to the gentleman with the glasses on his head. What's your name? What's your question? Uh, Matt it? from Wolverhampton. Good timing with this question as well after that okay. answer. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, you put something on Instagram, social media, a few months back, I think is when you were Sorry. recording with Howard. what did I do? <laughs> and in the sort of caption where you put the writing, whatever, you mentioned Adam and recording. Yeah. And how he, you, you have touched on this earlier, and how he rips you to pieces. Yeah. When he's, yeah. Oh, we, yeah, we I get We see him abused. as the guy that yeah. you've just described and the bloke that gets pizza mid-riff and goes to the bar. Right, the, the, that side of him. I know. Yeah, in the studio, he is he is a stickler, and I, let me understand you correctly. That's the question, right? He's a, a stickler in the studio. Yeah, when he's sober and has a ton of coffee in him, he is like your worst nightmare. If if my voice is even slightly like off that way or that way, or if it's on key perfectly, but doesn't sound like me, it's wrong. So there's a lot of like going back and forth. And like I said earlier, oftentimes after 30 takes, that first take is the one. <laughs> so he's a stickler for sure. But live, all bets are off. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. During a heartache, it's like his thing. He fucks off stage and the, the four of us are like, there he goes again. <laughs> and you look and he's done it in some of the Maiden shows even where he's in an arena and he's running and we're like, your guitar doesn't even work out there, you fuck. And he'll go and, like, drink and party and come back for, like, the bridge. And he comes back on stage all triumphant. And everyone's like, yeah! And all four of us are like, fuck you, we've been holding it down without you. But you know what? That's Adam D. You can't change him. He's just that kind of guy, and I love him for it, you know? It's a blessing and a curse. The D. Fucking Adam D. Can I ask Birmingham a question? Have any of you seen the YouTube footage of him on The Price is Right? The greatest shit in the world, right? If you haven't seen that YouTube, Adam D, The Price is Right, it'll change your life. Side, side story to that, wait, side story to that yeah. is he couldn't tell any of us that he had won. So we got a text, and we're all off the road, and our fucking PJs waking up in the morning. He's like, hey, fuckers, watch The Price is Right. And I'm like, fuck, we watch it every day on tour, you fuck. He has it on in the bus. Like, when we wake up in the morning, it's on, and we're like, Jesus Christ. Not even awake, and I gotta hear someone yelling at me. Um, so we all watched it live. Him well, live it was pre-taped, but we all didn't know he won, and we're literally yelling and like texting each other, and like, "Holy shit, this fucking asshole won!" <laughs> and he's just like, "Whoa, no!" <laughs> yeah, but he got taxed up the ass for that. He had to sell a lot of the shit because the United States government raped him on taxes. <laughs> I think he wasn't in it for the money, though. He was just in it for that win, wasn't he? No, he wasn't, but he's pretty <laughs> butthurt about that. Okay, let me just do a time check. How long have we got? 15 minutes. Let's say, realistically, four more questions. So if, you, if, dun, dun. if your question isn't like A-grade pedigree material. Wow, he's trying to thin the herd. Thin the herd, right? You've got to cull. Who's insecure? Everyone believes in their Who's questions. Insecure? Let's go to this gentleman. Ryan down here, this, just because I like his fucking awesome 70s haircut. Let's go to this gentleman here. It is a lovely haircut. Hi, Jesse. Lovely to, uh, to talk with you. I've been a fan for many, many years. Oh, cheers, brother. Um, Hold on. Yes. John. Okay, yeah. What's okay, your name? Stick okay. to the format. Okay. So, I'm John, and I'm hey, from John. a crappy little town called Nuneaton. 
So, Nothing uh, wrong yeah. with the neat, indeed. Yeah. They I'm gave us you. a crappy city called yeah. New York City. So We've got some good directors, on. you know. Uh, what I want to know is I'm a huge fan of the late 80s, early, uh, well, the 90s Seattle bands, Soundgarden in particular, and Alice in Chains, Nirvana, uh, Tad Mudhoney. Are you a fan? And I want to know how you feel about Chris Cornell and what happened last year as well. Oh, yeah. Fucking hell. I am, a, I am a massive Soundgarden fan. Massive Chris Cornell solo shit. I was gutted when he fucking took himself out. I'm gutted when anyone kills themselves. Um, especially when they're in a spotlight and you see it in the headlines. It destroys me. I've lost personal friends from suicide. Um, yeah, it fucking destroyed me. Kurt Cobain. I mean, he's a legend. Let's be real. He was a legend. He really was. But to me, the real true legend of that scene was Chris uh, as far as songwriting and like the topics he would deal with very poetically. You can go back and read Chris Cornell's lyrics and still find messages, hidden messages. He's a brilliant mind. Yeah, I don't think without the I, without Soundgarden, I wouldn't even do what I do for sure because at a certain point when I discovered their music and then it went back, you know, like the hits, but then you go back to like Louder Than Love. That album is just, it's Zeppelin-esque. It should be up there with the Zeppelin records in my mind. So yeah, to answer your question, I'm a massive fan of all that shit. And you know who was a super underrated band from that scene as well? And they got booked in with that scene, but kind of weren't part of it? The Melvins. The Melvins are like fucking metal saviors, but they weren't really metal. They kind of skirt the line of not metal and metal. They kind of weren't Seattle, but then they were Seattle. I find that most metalheads, if you don't know the Melvins, shit, go back and listen to the Melvins. They were doing shit light years before other bands, including Soundgarden, with their chords, the way that fucking the riffs they would play and how heavy they were, but how bluesy they were. Yeah, massive. Seattle sound, but Soundgarden and Chris Cornell, rest in peace especially, that broke my fucking heart. We've got three more. This is gonna, you're going to put me on the spot. Let's go with that. Are you, have you got your shirt off? I oh, know he's just got a vest up. I thought he was topless at a Q&A show. I was like, give that guy the mic. Yeah, right? <laughs> Let him run my life. Want to be my manager? Jesus. Hey, uh, I'm Doug from Birmingham, but I've flown in from Cyprus for this. Cyprus? It's fucking hot. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's um, kind of hot here too, right? It's weird. Bro, this is, and the this sun is was cold. out. I'm it's like, like, where the fuck am I? 46 degrees in Cyprus. Oh, shit. And I'm very white, so I don't do well with the heat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, I literally would be wearing underwear if I could get away with it, but <laughs> everyone would be vomiting and shit. I like you already, Doug. Hey, my guy. My guy. Uh, quick question. Uh, whether it's in your personal life or obviously in your professional life, what accomplishment are you most proud of? And also... Uh, what one accomplishment would you love to achieve in your life, whether personally or professionally, in the future? Jeez, Cyprus. Nice. Good question. Nice. Going, going really in. good. Yeah. Bye, bye. Shit. Let's uh, go with the one you'd like to still achieve first. I'd like to die a glorious death and, and have a Viking funeral if it was legal. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anywhere that's still legal? That would be amazing. I don't know, but I wish it was. Um, I'm sure my family could handle it in secret, but uh, I'd say being married for, for 18 years uh, is probably my biggest accomplishment. It's the hardest thing I've ever fucking done, and it is an accomplishment. If you can manage a relationship for that fucking long, 
And it's, you know, it's a, it's a partnership for sure. And it's been a long, painful road, but it's so fucking worth it if it's real. So I'd say that over anything, maintaining that relationship is, jeez, it's fucking epic. <laughs> let's have a drink to Melissa, everybody in this room. If you Oi. have a beverage, let's raise a toast to Jesse's wife. Oh, I'm sorry for those people who have to, have to work tomorrow because I'm DJing later and I'd love to see you. I know, but Just you know what? In sick. sick days, you fucking have them. <laughs> I have a great phrase. I was going to say my friend does, but I'm going to claim it. It's mine. It ain't calling in sick if you don't call in. Hey, fuck your boss, all right? You just don't show, and you go, well, I don't know what happened. Fuck your boss. We've got 10 minutes, so I'm going to say let's do four more questions. Let's do four more. All I will ask in return is we'll just have to make the meet and greet moment that bit quicker so we can just get, make sure everybody gets a picture and, and gets some I'm sorry ahead of time but the, if But you're the questions rushed. are important, right, because there's still a lot of hands in the air. So, Ryan, there's a lady there right in front of you. Hi, I'm Helen, and I'm from Preston. Nailed hey. it. Boom. Professional. That's how he's done, everyone else. Love it. At Download Festival, you had a bit of a mishap on the stage. Oh, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Has there been any other moments in your career that you've wanted the ground to swallow you up? <laughs> how have, and how have you managed to keep going? How did I do that night? First of all, what was the mishap? <laughs> I slipped and fell on my fucking ass. Because it was raining, pissing rain, and uh, I was dancing about like I do on that in due time. I do this little two-step because I'm that guy, and I fell hard and was bleeding out, actually, on stage. <laughs> and I got up and laughed and looked at the audience. I'm like, human moment. What the fuck are you going to do? Carry it on. Um, thankfully, that's probably my most embarrassing spill. So thank you for bringing that up. That's... Uh... <laughs> Was the question, has there been anywhere? Has there been any, yeah, yeah, no, that's probably the most He epic, tried to dodge it. That is probably See the that? most epic Pro. fail yeah, uh, I've ever had, thankfully, because I'm pretty sure-footed. <laughs> okay, let's go to... Are there any couples that have a joint question so we can do more? Damn. Yeah, you two, down. Damn. Ryan, down the front here, front row. That doesn't mean you get one each. It means it's like a combined... Wow. You, oh. She's in control. She's like, I got this. Boom. You don't have to tell me. I'll tell you, motherfucker. All right, well, I'm Michelle, and this is Martin. And Michelle we wondered. Martin. Eminem. Yeah. Eminem. We wondered, do you foresee Times of Grey supporting Killswitch on a tour in the future? I would never do double duty. Are you kidding me? <laughs> My voice is already fucking fragile as it is. Now they'll be completely separate entities. And I think Times of Grey is suited better for a club like this where Killswitch can play the big things, I think we're going to keep Times of Grace our artistic, small venue, theater-style thing that'll happen every once in a while, where Killswitch obviously does what Killswitch does. But I think it would take away from the... Um, first of all, I couldn't physically do that. I don't think my voice could handle that. Second of all, we want them to be very separate from each other. I don't even want Times of Grace to be touring... I'd rather tour with a more rock, alternative, psychedelic thing with that than metal. I'd rather be considered more artsy and obscure with Times of Grace moving forward. So that'll never happen. Great question, though, right? And you should take that shit on the road with the Melvins, Times of Grace. Jesus. Perfect. I couldn't. Melvins are too fucking glorious. Let's go to the gentleman there with his hand in the light like Jesus. 
Please say your name's Jesus. <laughs> Please save us all. Nobody fucks so many with lies. Jesus. What's true? Our name's Jesus. I'm from Wolverhampton. <laughs> yeah, I Jesus. knew Jesus was from Wolves. Take the wheel. Uh, I am the saviour. Um, so, <laughs> did you just say no? My name's Dave. No, no, no. still, still Jesus. If you want it to be. Sorry, no, my That's name's fine. actually Dave. Amazing. <laughs> so, um, Jesse, I'll... I love you on Family Guy, by the way. <laughs> Fucking hysterical. <laughs> so, Jesse, I've watched you the last two nights in Manchester and Birmingham supporting Maiden. And, I, by the way, I think you were fucking on point for both nights. Thank you. I thought, I thought you were amazing. And what I wanted to know was, how have you found supporting Iron Maiden? Because Maiden fans, we have a bit of a reputation for being quite kind of hard on... Tough crowd. ...on support bands, yeah? Oh, yeah. So, how have you found it when... You're playing to these guys, and Maiden fans normally only want to see Maiden. So, how, how have you found it playing to them? And if you found it okay, what, what other times have you really struggled to kind of try and win over a crowd when you've been supporting a band? Yeah. I think Birmingham was probably one of the worst responses we've gotten on the entire fucking tour. It was a lot of the arms fucking. Everyone from Birmingham was like, yeah. Yo. <laughs> All right, so insider information, and I don't know his name because I'm terrible with names, with the blonde haired guitar player. That throws his guitar everywhere. I met him. We were chatting backstage before they went on. And I came off stage and I looked at him and was like, hey, mate. He's like, how was it? And I'm like, eh. He's like, it's fucking Birmingham. Were they doing this? And he's like, yeah. I was like, can you wake him up? He's like, hey, mate, I just fucking woke up. I'm going to wake myself up first. <laughs> he's like, every time we come here, it's like even for Maiden, there are people who are just. Er. So I guess you guys have a reputation, you hard-ass motherfuckers. So, to answer your question, though, it's um, very challenging, but I think it's super humbling, and I think Killswitch especially needs that. You know, there are times when we go through tours and we feel like we're doing great, things are great, we're successful. Then you open up for a band like Maiden, and you're like, we have a lot more to do. Like, literally, go back to the drawing board and rethink things. So, it's been the blessing to, like, tour with them because it's challenging. And I've found a way to look at those people who are not feeling it or maybe just waiting for Maiden and, and smile at them and like say, hey, look, I'm up here loving this. If you don't like it, cool. I'm partying. I'm having a good time. I'm not trying to prove to you that I'm fucking badass or I'm this or I'm that. And hopefully that comes across, and a lot of times it does. Metalheads can see. We're up there partying. We're having fun. We're not going, hey, we're sick. We're fucking hot. We're going to fuck your girlfriend. None of that shit. <laughs> no, none of it. Because we're a bunch of fucking nerds. We're like, this is fun. Like, if you're not having fun, you paid a shitload of money. Sorry. Uh! And most of the times we get them over, especially when we played fucking Dio at the end of the night. If you're a real metalhead and you hear fucking Holy Diver and you don't enjoy that, sorry. Go home. Save your fucking money. Go on YouTube. So... We've done okay with it, and it's been a learning experience, and um, I wouldn't change a thing. I find it very humbling to open for the fucking masters of metal. Up the irons. So before we wrap up, just so I can go through some final housekeeping so I don't have, I have to do this. I have to pee first before we do this. Can I just? Yeah, you know, well, okay. I'm not going to end it yet. I'm going to do this now before I end because I don't want to end and then do this. So when we end the show, which is going to be really amazing, uh, Jesse's going to pee, right? And then there's a merch table at the back of the room. Could we get the lights on in the room for one second, my brother, just so people in the room can see where it is? I guess you all know it's just at the back anyway. There you go. The very back of the room. 
That's where we'll meet you. About I like that everyone minutes. has to look. It's yeah, not yeah. a big room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right where was it again? The arena. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exit A. We're like on that side. Take the shuttle. <laughs> so if, if you wouldn't mind starting a queue at there and going down the wall, around the stage. Around I'm going to have a piss. Thank no, you, no, guys. No, 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 no. Nope. We're not going to end yet. Sorry, Matt. I'm going to say, there's going to be a couple more questions. I just okay. want to do this now <laughs> so we don't end, and then I have to do all this bullshit. I'm I holding my pee. I want to end with a moment of triumph and celebration. It's not that bad. So, yeah, that's the queue situation. We'll meet everyone, have pictures. As I said at the start of the show, if you arrived late, if you missed it, iPhone photos all the way if you want to do that. But if you want a souvenir of the whole night, we've got Polaroid film. And we're going to do sign Polaroids for a fiver each. Just ching, ching, sign on the spot, in. And we've also got 50 limited edition, nice thick card posters signed by Jesse as well. Tenor each, just if you want, again, a nice souvenir of the evening. They're there on sale. That's why I didn't want to do that at the end. It's like the sales pitch. So there's the sales pitch. Who has the best question in the room? Dude, you're good, man. He's good, right? Let's go to the polka dot queen in the corner there. I'm going to make that the penultimate, and then we'll have one more after you, and then we'll then Jesse can wee. Yeah. Hi, Jesse. Sorry, I know Hello. you need to pee. <laughs> um, no, it's not that bad. I'm, you need to pee as well. It's, dra- it's dramatical. <laughs> I'm being dramatic. I'll cross my leg. Yeah, I'm performing <laughs> for you, if you will. Thank you I have to be so bad. Um, I'm Beth. I'm from Sussex. Hey. I'm a nanny like your wife. Oh, right on, yeah. dude. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I'm getting anxious again. You're amongst friends, <laughs> Beth. <laughs> Breathing Did exercise. you say you're a midwife? And a nanny. A nanny. Well, this has to be far less stressful than that shit. A little right, bit. So. Three boys. Give yourself <laughs> a quick... Take t- a breath. Wait, give yourself a quick time out. <sighs> I'm back in the Go game. ahead. <laughs> um, I'm a massive Times of Grace fan. So I saw you in Toronto a couple years back now. Um, Hymn of a Broken Man is just my go-to album. It's got me through so much. Thank and you. it's like my therapy. I listen to it whenever, you know, whenever that kind of comes on. I just put it on and chill out and it helps me oh, that's beautiful. Um, thank you i was just wondering what your go-to sort of songs are if you have an album that you just don't get sick of and you listen to it over and over the same way i do with that that's a great question i have a bunch of them yeah um thanks for being vulnerable yeah and open thank for you question. for that yeah. round of applause for beth please yeah. ladies and gentlemen i can give you a list because i have a therapy list uh i'll start with what i'm wearing a shirt i'm wearing which is a, a funny sort of band called Drab Majesty. They're uh, do, two dudes from L.A. that actually dress in costume, and it's cheeky, but the music itself is brooding and beautiful. It's like the Cure, uh, Bauhaus kind of dark stuff. It just makes me feel nice every time I put that record on. I put this shit on repeat. This is a fucking goth pop band, guys. It's not a metal band. <laughs> and I wear this shirt proudly because I fucking love goth music. Um, I'm actually a closeted goth, believe it or not. Um, Cocteau Twins, um, Victoria Land. So Cocteau Twins, anyone know who the Cocteau Twins are? Dream pop of the highest, highest order. The best shit. If you guys want to know what you would assume fairies, if they actually made music, would sound like, it's the Cocteau Twins. That's the best review of them I've ever heard. Pure magic. I put on Victoria Land, the first track from Cocteau Twins. And when I'm in that dark spot, I'm immediately like, there's got to be a god or something great because this music is so fucking good. So Cocteau Twins on top Imagine of Bjork singing over pictures of you by The Cure, and that's kind of Without a written language because the Cocteau Twins don't actually say things. They just make it up as they go on. Fucking magic. Yeah. Um, 
I would say uh, Brian Eno, who's a brilliant producer, has an album called Music for Airports. Track one of that is just him playing piano sparsely. Like every once in a while he hits a chord. No fail. It's gotten me out of anxiety attacks, panic attacks, and even fucking helped me come down from the edge when I'm really at a really fucking dark moment. Uh, next to that, two, two blokes from the UK called The Orb. They're two old guys that make electronic music that is brilliant, brilliant music. I'm a massive fan. I have every single record. The Orb is a no-fail fun thing for me. And then on the other side of the spectrum, when I'm feeling total shit and I just need to punch something, I put on At the Gates, Slaughter of the Soul, and I want to fucking destroy everything, and I feel great after. <laughs> yeah, you guys? Old school heads there, yeah. Metal heads, if you don't know that record, goddamn. At the Gates, Slaughter of the Soul. I think it's probably the top five metal records of all time for me. Incredible record. Amazing. Okay, this is the toughest moment of my life. Is it? Please, if I don't go to you for the last question, please don't hate me. This is a very tough decision. Let's, can we get the full lights on as well? I want to scope the crowd. Oh, he's judging. You are judging. I am. I'm Cal now. My trousers are the high ones. Let's go to the D right at the back, just because he's had to watch the whole show from the very back, and I feel like we should extend the hand of friendship, stretch Armstrong style. And if he doesn't say his name, as soon as he gets the mic, we'll move on. Yeah, nick him. Fucking done. What's going on here? You don't get a question because you got him for free. <laughs> You're on my guest list. Harry, I love you. But the, the, the last question of the night cannot I, go I, to you. It needs to go to I didn't, a... I didn't think you'd notice me from uh, all the... I, I, dude, I got your fucking oh, number. Deny. Is he your mate as well? Did you pay to come in, sir? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did. Hey, well, you, you just stormed the oh, stage. Okay. All right, heavy metal rules. You go. Then the last question of the night is to the guy. I just don't want to fight you. Come you talk, talk to me at my DJ again. I'll answer your question there. I'm literally losing my shit right now. But <laughs> Hi, Jesse. How you are you? You got diapers on? A little Something bit, yeah. It. All right, cool, cool. Um, it's not the best He's on the big gold pints. <laughs> All right, yeah. Will we ever hear any of the Impartial Fall again, or is that uh, Oh, that band. Yeah, we didn't mention that. I had a band had, well, we're still technically not broken up, but um, probably not. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, we've all kind of gone our separate ways. The bass player is in a band called The Deer Hunter, which are a very successful band touring right now. Um, yeah, one of the guys is a full-time dad. I, I don't know. Maybe if I could squeeze it in at some point. I, it's really hard to say, man. Pretty They're kind of low on the priority list, so I don't know. Maybe? Ryan, well, just take, me. Ryan I know he looks tough, but just take that mic back. Sorry, Thanks for man. a great question, dude. Big gulps to the big gulp guy. Right, no pressure, dude. You need to come right down to the front here. He's up for it. Look at that. He's even getting a mic. Cool. You've done me so, like a hardcore singer. Get what's your of... name? What's your question? Can everybody well, give? Uh, my name's Dan. I'm from the Isle of Scotland. Round of applause for Dan, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Inside, you're all like... Um, the floor is yours, my friend. So, Bring it home for us. When I was 18, my little brother crashed into me on some uh, bumper cars at a fair. Broke my hand. Uh, last week, I was at a party, tried to do some backflips on a trampoline, pissed. Didn't end well, landed on the back of my shoulders, top of my neck, knees, hit me in the face, uh, bust nose, black eyes. Is there any way you've ever hurt yourself in a particularly funny or stupid way? Yeah, a lot. Um, yes. <laughs> a lot. I think probably one of the funniest ones, maybe, for me. Indeed. 
If you want to just set the mic there, thank you very much. We had just written the song Numbered Days, and we just started to play it out live. This is way back 2001, before Live Just Breathing was even recorded. And uh, we were playing a, 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 with um, a great band from New Jersey called, uh, oh, let me remember, because you guys... The E Street Band? No, it? fuck no. that. Um, Burnt by the Sun. Do you guys know that band? Holy shit. Burnt by the Sun. Take notes, guys. You want to hear the best, one of the best bands from that genre of metalcore before it was metalcore? Burnt by the Sun. So we're, they're playing before us, and I'm a huge fan, and we're headlining over them. So I'm like, ooh, we're going to debut our new song, Number Days. It's heavy as fuck. So I'm like, badass, right? I get in my, my metal stance. This is what I did in the back of the day. I'd like wrap the microphone core while staring at people like, oh, you have no idea what's coming. It's so fucking heavy. And I go like this, headbang, headbang, knee to the fucking eye. My head went straight into my knee, hit my eye. All I saw was white. I'm sure if there is a video, there's no video, thankfully. I couldn't see a fucking thing. There's blood coming out of my head. And I don't even know what's happening. And people are like, yeah! I hadn't sang a word. And Adam after was like, I think number days. I think we're on to something here. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. But I, I don't even know if I sang the song. I literally knocked myself out for the entire song. I may have sang it. I may have not. But uh, we did not show up burnt by the sun. Burnt by the sun destroyed us that day. And look up that band. They will destroy you. And now we have reached Ooh. the end of the road, ladies and gents. i got to have a pee. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go anywhere, motherfucker. Can we get the main house lights on, please, dude? And could everybody in this room just give a nice, rapturous, warm round of applause to this wonderful human being right here, Mr. Jesse Leach. Give it up, my man. Give it up this motherfucker, and thank you all so much. I'm honored you wanted to come here and be with me. Really honored. Thank you. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. 
this all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.